All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Artist of Motion podcast. On the line with me today is Associate Master Todd M. Durgan from Washington State, USA. Todd has studied several martial arts and is the head of Phasic Combatives Integrated. His specialty is in contact manipulation, and he's been featured in a couple of books, most recently as a recording date, the third edition of The Journey by Tom Bleeker. He's developed a series of Ken posters, which are training aids for Kempo systems, and is presently working on the follow-up to his Constituents of Contact Manipulation book he released a few years ago. How are you today, Mr. Durgan? Very well, thank you, Mr. Zalazowski. Oh, wow, I even got that pronunciation right. That's awesome. <laughs> I practiced. Oh, right on. So I gave everybody the real small version of your bio here for us. How about if I turn that over to you and you can tell us anything and everything that you'd like to share of your history in the martial arts. All right, sir. I appreciate it. And um, I'm uh, looking forward to this. It's a very humbling experience and I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, I uh, So I, I was a young boy like most that uh, have spent any length of time in the arts. And uh, at the age of probably about 10 or 11. And, and, I, and I gotta say, and I thought about this today when I was thinking about going through this podcast, if anybody hears this podcast and knows the time period that happened where I started martial arts and knows anybody that was there, I would love to hear from them because I have no idea who it was. And so, <clears throat> so to get kind of get it started, I was about 10 or 11. Um, I was raised, I was raised in the Mormon church with, uh, uh, you know, that whole background, in a <clears throat> not ideal situation though. And so one of the one of the church people uh, families uh, was a good f kind of friend I hung out there helped babysit stuff like that and uh, he wanted to do martial arts the father but he didn't none of his kids were old enough so he offered to pay for mine if I would go with him and I was like oh yeah of course I'm I'm there and so uh, we we the school or the the where we trained, I should say, was in a little town called Rainier, just outside of Yelm, Washington. And we practiced and trained in the gym at that school. Now, I don't know, ex I, I can't confirm or deny what style that was, but I can tell you that I recall uh, these years later and for many years that, that we did uh, exercises and drills like star block set. Uh, we ran... Um, many, many different kinds of freestyle drills and exercises. Um, you know, I, I, I remember those, I remember that very fondly because it was such an exciting time and such an exciting thing to be able to do as a 10 or 11 year old kid. And, uh, you know, with my personal background, it, it was, it got me away from a lot of things that were very, very bad in my life and gave me something very positive to focus on and be a part of. So, Anyway, fast forward uh, to about 18 or 19, um, I, got, uh, I got into uh, the uh, military, I had a very, very rough, very bad, bad relationship with my father or my adopted father. And uh, it, was, it was, I'll just say that it was not good. And so I left for the military, signed up, went, came back, I was National Guard. Uh, and uh, when I got back, uh, things were even worse. So I left the state of Alaska, moved back down to Oregon uh, briefly. And then I, when I got back to Washington, I found a guy by the name of Randy Borden <clears throat> who was teaching American Kempo. 
or he didn't advertise it as American Kempo, but it was Kempo. And he really didn't advertise it. He was teaching out of a flower shop. But he's a great, big, uh, very uh, exuberant and and full of life kind of big Hawaiian guy. And uh, just a lot of fun. He was very, very, he, he was very good at motivating people. And uh, so anyway, I joined this class and I, I started studying with him. He did not teach all of the Ed Parker techniques. In fact, he he taught some of the Parker techniques, but he taught them with the wrong names and with the wrong technique. And it was uh, it was interesting to say to say the least. <laughs> so um, you know, so I, I got I got into his class. I really had a good time. I learned I learned uh, got my got my yellow belt, and then the next day in about an hour I learned long form one. So, uh, and, and I would, and I would go home and I would practice for hours and hours. I mean, that was all I had to do. I didn't have any commitments. I worked and I did martial arts. And, uh, so, well, I was with him for two or three years, got the brown belt and then he, uh, just kind of disappeared. Now, before I move on from Randy Borden, he was, a, he, he always professed to be, uh, one of Ed Parker's nephews. And uh, I didn't argue with him or doubt him. And I had no idea who Ed Parker was at the time because I just, I wasn't in any circles outside of the flower shop or the, you know, the little gym in Rainier or, uh, you know, small places that did martial arts in small groups. And uh, so <clears throat> I trained with him uh, for a couple of years, like I said, went to Brown. Uh, and, and when I was training with him, I would, I would drive half an hour, I'd go work out for an hour or two, and then I'd follow him another 45 minutes north to another place where he was teaching in Bellevue and work out for another hour and a half or so. And then I'd go home and go to bed and go to work and do the whole thing over and over about five, six days a week. And, uh, so I progressed through this, through what he was teaching rather quickly. Um, but always wondered you know, I was—I don't know. I, I had no model in my mind of what, you know, what what is there? What is the road to black belt? What is a, uh, a you know? I always only ever saw instructors, not really fellow students moving through, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there were fellow students that moved through with me, but anyway. So Randy Borden packed up all of his money and and disappeared one day. I uh, he uh, uh, just was gone. So there was a local martial arts studio, a uh, local martial arts supply store, uh, Rick Hutcherson. He was actually one of Dave German, Dave German's black belts. He, he and uh, had his partner, uh, they owned one location in Vegas and one location here in Seattle. And so I would go uh, and I was relentless. I was just absolutely relentless. I would go once or twice a week to bug Rick. And ask him, hey, do you know anybody that's teaching Kempo? Do you know anybody that's teaching Kempo? Well, in the, in the process of going there all of these times, uh, the Infinite Insights came out in the, what, early to mid-80s. And I picked up a copy. And uh, <clears throat> I was in the National Guard, like I said. And we had our two-week drill. And we went to Canada for a two-week drill up, up to uh, uh, Toronto and uh, did a joint drill with the with the Canadians. And 
So I took all of those books with me. And in that two weeks, I had read through those books probably two or three times each. In all of my spare time, that was what I did. Everybody else was going out, going to the bars, and I was there at the tent reading the books. Um, and and uh, it was funny because I remember reading through the first time when I finished five, book five, thinking to myself, he lied to me. He, he, he didn't give me anything, Randy Borden being. And, and so I was really upset about that. It was funny because I was, I was pissed. <laughs> and so I was like, man, I, I got to find him. I got to go ask him what in the world, you know, and what was he thinking? And, and then, you know, there were a couple of techniques uh, laid out in the, in the back of the book too. And one of them, I think was, I thought, I, I can't remember which one it was, but I remember reading through it thinking, well, that's not what he called it. That's a, that's, that's not the technique he called it. So I, I got over it eventually, kind of. Just as a, as a sidebar here, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with those particular books, that's a five, uh, five volume series Ed Parker put out. The first one is, is pretty easy reading. The next four are really technical reading. So when he says he made them through two or three times each in a couple of weeks, it's not, uh, not light reading. So bravo for getting that in your head that much. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not saying I had it all. I'm just saying I read through them. And <laughs> let me tell you, my, at the end of it, my head was going to explode the first time. And then I had to go back and, and go through. And I've reread them. I couldn't tell you how many times since then. That sounds about um, right. Which is, you know, in my opinion, if you're, if you're studying Kempo, and I use the word study, not train. If you're training and studying Kempo, there is absolutely no excuse, no reason that you should not have gone through those books multiple times by the time you're first, second, or third degree black belt, certainly. Now, even if you're studying <clears throat> something else, they'll, they'll help, you re, help you redesign and rethink how you process what you are currently training in as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I got through all the books. I got back from our from our drill and I... Uh, again, went to Rick Hutcherson, the poor fella at the martial arts uh, supply store, all martial arts, shameless plug, but he's no longer in business here. So, um, uh, and asked him again, you know, Hey, is there anybody, is there anybody? No, there's nobody. He said, you know, if you want to just train, go train with this guy over here. He's, he, you know, he, he teaches Okinawan Kempo with an M it's, I don't even know what the big name was that he used for it. He was a Marine uh, and he was based on Okinawa or in Okinawa. So he trained while he was there, got his something, something. He was a high ranking black belt. So I, uh, I, I was like, well, that's not really what I want to do, but okay. So I went and trained with him for, uh, two years in fact, and, you know, got to Brown and, and I, I just, it wasn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't what I wanted to keep doing. And I, I, you know, he wanted me to, take my black belt test and I didn't want to be a black belt in that system. So I was, you know, just kind of put it off and didn't do it. And, uh, so, uh, then finally one day Rick, after me bugging him for, I don't know, probably two and a half, three years, he says, uh, Hey, this guy, rainy, he's opening a studio over here. Go check him out. I was like, right on. I mean, I, I was giddy. I was so giddy. It was unbelievable. So, so I head over, I went from the martial arts studio, uh, supply store to Rainey's new dojo over. It was the Brook Lake hall, uh, location. And, uh, there, <clears throat> that's about, I don't know, it's about 10 or 15 miles away. It's they're basically at extreme opposite ends of federal way. 
And uh, so I go zipping down there and I, I pull up and I'm like, well, this is odd. So it's just kind of this, this large, what looks like a community center in the middle of the woods. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so I pull up there and I, I kind of go to knock and it's open. So I walk in and there's this tall, skinny guy on a ladder painting his, uh, you know, painting walls and, and, you know, he's got some gi bottoms on with paint on them and stuff. And, and, uh, this other guy doing something over there and, and I'm like, uh, hello. And he's like, yeah, yeah. What can we do for you? I said, yeah, I'm looking for a, a rainy. And, uh, he says, yeah, you found him. I said, yeah, I wanted to sign up for some Kempo classes. <laughs> so, so. As soon as you get down off the ladder. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So he, so he did, he got down off the ladder and talked to me a little bit, you know, and I told him, I said, yeah, I, you know, I did this, I did that, but I want to start over at white belt because I, you know, I read the books and I know I don't have all this and, and I want to get all this. And, uh, he was like, okay, no problem. You know, and of course we'd never met before. Yeah. He, he kind of chuckled and all right, no problem. So he, he took my, my, I think it was a $25, payment and for deposit or something and then another $25 for the first month and so I gave him my 50 bucks and I left and I just couldn't wait to get back there you know and he and he was like oh okay well we're gonna start classes officially next week and I was like oh really <laughs> so so far away and so I uh he just kind of laughed again and so yeah I started I started training with him and it was, it was interesting because, um, he was, you know, he, he's a much thinner, taller, he's not taller, but he's a much thinner guy than Randy Borden was. Now I have to, I have to say that, you know, training with Randy Borden was interesting because he was a 320 pound, six foot four man or uh, six, two, six, four. He was a big dude. Yeah. That's a big dude. But let me, and so he was, he was actually a football player in his youth. And he racked his knees or something as most football players do and wasn't able to do it anymore. So, um, but man, he could move. I mean, I, I, I have to this day, in fact, never seen a man his size move with the, with the grace, the speed and agility that he did. Now I say a man, his size. Okay. Now fast forward back to Mr. Rainey. <laughs> so <clears throat> I had zero idea what I was getting into when I, joined Mr. Rainey's class. Um, there were a few, there were a few people that were already there that were yellow belts. I don't know if he had been working with them at his place and then decided to open this place with his partner. Um, but you know, there were a couple people already there. So I came in, I'm wearing a white belt, had not a care in the world. I was so glad to be learning the, uh, you know, the system <clears throat> and, uh, and then, so he, you know, he gave me his, his little manuals and pamphlets and I'm training. And I, I think it was maybe, I don't know, a couple of weeks to a month. And I took my yellow belt test with a bunch of other people. And then about a month and a half later, I think it was about a month and a half later, we were freestyling. I was, I was uh, freestyling with, uh, with uh, one of the, I'll just say with Mr. Rainey's partner who was a black belt or wearing a black belt at the time. And there were people there to watch the class and to observe, to sign up. And, uh, at the end of it, uh, at the end of it, they were, they asked Mr. Rainey or during, during 
the freestyle session, Mr. Rainey was over talking to him. And I'm fighting with this guy. He's black belt. I'm wearing a yellow belt, mind you. And uh, they asked Mr. Rainey, they said, hey, how, how come that yellow belt's beating up on that black belt? So so I, after the after the class, uh, Mr. Rainey pulls me aside and said, hey, uh, you need to wear your brown belt. Nice. I'm like, and I said, why? I, I said, I, I, I got to get all this stuff. He said, no, you need to wear your brown belt. I can't have my, I can't have my black belts get beat up by yellow belts in front of these people. And I said, yeah, bad PR, okay. bad marketing. Yeah. Right. So, so I started wearing a brown belt and I just, you know, and, and other than my yellow belt test, I hadn't tested for any other belts with him. Now I'd seen a few other tests, a few of the other t- people test for different various belts, but um, I, I don't know, it was probably a year and a half. I, I went through the system uh, and one day he pulls me up in front of the class and bumps me up to a second brown. I'm like, I had no idea what that, you know, I was like, oh, okay, uh, all right. Uh, because I tested with Borden, all of his tests up through Brown and kind of had that expectation, you know. And then, uh, so anyway, so I got bumped a second. And then one day, because uh, I had started teaching out of a uh, gymnastics place in Federal Way that I found. And and funny enough, I had Mr. Rainey's son, J.D. Rainey, who's now actually a, uh, a dancer, uh, a very proficient, prolific uh, dancer. Yeah, who actually has done some tours with some people and was on the world of dance competition, et cetera. Anyway, I had him when he was a little kid as my assistant. So I would go pick him up and he was, he was, he was probably only about three feet tall and just always worried about whether he was going to get taller or not. <laughs> and now if, if you saw him now compared to then, it's, it's actually pretty funny, but uh, very, very, what's that? Problem solved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very talented individual. He could watch somebody do something on a movie and do it. I mean, backflips for all, all of the stuff. Uh, he could do wheel kicks. Just, I mean, he was, he was always very impressive to me for such a young man that he had the physical discipline to do the things that he was able to do. Um, so he helped me. I started that studio. I was teaching for, I don't know, I had it going for about a month or two, maybe three. And, Lo and behold, boom, Mr. Rainey brings me up in front of the class, promotes me to first first degree Brown. He's like, that's what I was waiting for. You needed to step out and start doing something on your own. And I was like, you know, okay. <laughs> so, 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 you know, so now I'm a first degree Brown belt. And, uh, you know, and actually I forgot to mention. So when I, when I, when he made me wear my Brown belt initially, I, that was when I really started to see, um, different levels of animosity and how people are with regard to ego animosity and the whole rank thing, because there were, you know, those people I told you about that were already there and they were yellow and they went to orange and, and all that. There were a few people that got really upset that I was taken from yellow to Brown and uh, to the point they quit. They didn't understand that, you know, I had years of training prior and I, I don't know what the problem was, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> so I got to, got promoted to first Brown and then it was probably six months, probably six months later, 
Um, it was March 17th. So I actually just had my anniversary, my black belt uh, test anniversary, uh, March 17th. Now it was St. Patty's Day, March 17th, 92, I think it was 91. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, and um, after my test, I went to the bar, I had one beer and I went home and went to bed. So, but my test was, my test was, uh, it was more of an, uh, what I understand as an old school test. I was put into this small room with, with that, where we taught privates. Uh, they, they brought me in with the four or five guys that were there to dummy for me. There were three, three people on the board. There were, uh, it was a Kajikembo guy, a, a Tong Sudo guy and Mr. Rainey. Now, both of those other guys trained with us, but they were black belts and uh, second. I think they were both second degree black belts in their respective styles. So he had them sit on the board. Um, so uh, I was brought into this little tiny room. There were there was no water, no nothing. Close the door. Four or five guys come in. He goes through the spiel. Those guys all leave. Runs me through a bunch of stuff and just kind of brings them in and out of the room as needed. Right. To either freestyle or techniques or, or whatever the case may be. And then sends them back out. Well, again, I had never seen or participated in a black belt test. And so I had no idea what was to happen or what was going to happen or what was supposed to happen. And the test went for, let's see, it, it was about four and a half hours of me doing things, four to four and a half hours of physical action activity. Uh, and then another hour or so of me in a Seiza position with, with them outside having donuts or something, just making me sweat. I'm sure. Nothing like your legs cramping up for an hour. Oh uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> uh, so, but at the end of my test and I, I would, at the end of my test, he brought in a, a gentleman by the name of Greg Trotter, who at the time outweighed me by probably 75 to hundred pounds and and was a couple inches taller than me so it seemed so in my memory it seems um and he had a salute and bow and so we salute and bow and i and he says this is the combat portion of the test while we're saluting and bowing and i turned to him to ask him what was that and he said go <laughs> well unbeknownst to me outside before the before greg trotter came in he told Greg, he said, I want you to pick him up or, or no, he said, I want you to wade through all of his weapons, pick him up and slam him on the ground. Those were Greg's instructions to me. Now, Greg was a blue belt at the time and, and Greg knew how I was. <laughs> and uh, so he did not want to opt for wading through anything. He thought it would be best to just eliminate that whole process and slam me on the ground. And uh, so he grabbed me as soon as I, as soon as I turned to look at Mr. Rainey and he said, go, Greg grabbed me with in a full bear hug from the front arms pinned and everything went black. Uh, I remember nothing between that and Mr. Rainey flying off the chair saying, whoa, whoa yelling, whoa, whoa, stop, stop, stop. And I looked up and I saw one of the other guys in shock and awe and I had my my head, my hand cocked. I had this guy in a wrist lock, knee in his back, knee in his neck, and I was going to punch him in the head for screwing up my black belt test. And uh, so, so that was it. That was that was that was it. I was, you know, they they, they let him get up, 
uh, I looked around. I kind of snapped out of it. I looked around. There were sh black shoe marks down the wall. Uh, I'm not, again, I, I honestly have no idea what I did to this day. Um, and it's funny, Mr. Rainey was joking about this the other day when I saw him. And he said, yeah, I got that from Jim Thompson. He did that to me once in one of my tests. <laughs> I was like, oh, nice. So Turn about yeah, that was play, a, I guess. Yeah, that was a that was a, a fun experience. So uh anyway, so that was interesting uh and unfortunately at the, at that time Mr. Rainey and his partner um kind of parted ways and the, they closed down the school. Um and we moved to Mr. Rainey moved to a a a fitness center. And we were there for I don't know, 3 or 4 months and Mr. Rainey turned to me one day and he said, it's all yours. I'm out of here. <clears throat> and so I was like, what, what? Okay. <laughs> and yeah. And, uh, you know, I had, I had half of form five, I think mm -hmm. he, cause he was working through teaching me form five and <laughs> it was a year later before I saw him again to start getting form the rest of form five. I was like, well, I, I didn't know that he had been teaching privates at his house and was working with some of the other guys and uh so i was just there i was there at the gym teaching all these people some of the people that were still there some of the so so a lot of the students left they were like oh the man's gone i'm, I'm not you know <laughs> i'm not staying i don't know who this todd guy is but i'm not staying so um a lot of lost a lot of people there was three or four or five that stayed there and uh stayed with me for a, a number of years after that actually but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was interesting times, for sure. Um, I remember I remember fighting Mr. Rainey one time. <laughs> we were doing freestyle when I was a, I think I was a, I think I was a second degree brown belt. So, so during the time that I was training, I should uh, I should say Mr. Rainey was actually a uh, he was a corrections officer, and, and a, uh, or King County Police. He worked up at the jail, and so he worked nights. So he was he was only there usually Friday and Saturday. And this and his partner was there the other days, and I so I was helping teach classes as well. So when he would come in, it was really cool because we'd have this, you know, this guy uh, work to work with and teaching us. And uh, I mean, it was uh, I, I hadn't seen or felt Kenpo like that. Um, and when I so the first time I dummied for him was in a technique line. I think it was a Friday night and I came in through the punch for leaping crane <clears throat> and uh, leaping crane. And now, and if you haven't seen or met Mr. Rainey, you don't fully appreciate the length and magnitude of his fingers <laughs> and the speed with which they can carry through and welt your skin or break a couple ribs. So I come through for leaping crane and he came through with it in and instead of a dragon knuckle he would or a middle knuckle fist he would just do a finger whip right well he would he would whip whip through the first time and then he'd rebound and whip whip back into your kidney and snap your head back and uh oh my god so we went through that technique three or four times and when i got home all up and down both sides of my rib cage on the right side i had rainy welts from his fingers and that was that was my first experience with, you know, what what can he do and how good he can do it. So then, and that that went on and carried on for 
for the term that I was training there at Brooklake. And, and, uh, I was a second or first degree Brown belt getting, getting a little too cocky as most Brown belts do. And, uh, <clears throat> we're freestyling across most lineages for that matter. Yes, sir. <laughs> and so we were freestyling and, uh, I was, I was feeling pretty good. I was, you know, I was thinking, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this blitz and see if I can get in on him. Right. Yeah, no, that didn't work out. <laughs> so, so I go to blitz and see, and for years and years and years, I, I replayed that in my mind. What could I possibly have done differently? And I've learned a lot from that one episode, but so this is what happened. So I went to blitz him. And as soon as I moved, he stepped, I don't know if he stepped back or just went straight into a spinning roundhouse kick, but he did a spinning roundhouse kick to my heart, pop three ribs out, Oof. or it's what, it's what they call surflexed. So they, what happens is they, they, they dislocate and then they relocate. They pop out and pop back in. <clears throat> yeah. He surflexed three of my ribs, sent me back a little bit, knocked the wind out of me. I stood there with my hands up thinking I was going to keep on going, but I couldn't breathe anymore. So <laughs> I had to, I had to politely uh, bow out and uh, yeah. So, so, but that was a great lesson because from that day on, I really started looking at, you know, how did this happen? Aside from the fact that he was just incredibly uh, fast and gifted, but I telegraphed. I had a massive telegraph before I moved in. And I, you know, I learned that and I started started looking at how do I better isolate my movement, my motion, and uh, start to eliminate and remove all telegraphic action and motion. So anyway, so and that kind of took me down a rabbit hole, but uh, it is, is something that has been very beneficial to me, uh, you know, over the years with regard to combat and freestyle. So, um, so the gentleman that I trained with, uh, in Okinawa and Kempo, uh, I, I trained with him for a couple of years and he was a, he was an interesting fellow. And this is, this is before I got to Mr. Rainey. Uh, he did a lot of conditioning, physical conditioning, old style, old, old school, physical conditioning, you know, you, you would throw a punch, block, grab the arm, and hand chop the arm, the radial nerve, the top of the arm, side of the arm, the bottom, and just go back and forth doing this for 10, 20, 30 minutes. You know, all the conditioning, you know, with the, the steel rings and the weights of with, you know, the staff with a weight on the end and all that stuff. So during the time that I was with him, I, I really, uh, you know, Makiwara boards and all that crap. I really uh, got into some, you know, physical conditioning stuff that was uh, much un unnecessary, very unnecessary, <laughs> and very overboard. And so, uh, um, you know, I had been I had been uh, conditioning my shins and my arms and doing, you know, punching Makiwara boards and all this stuff. And so I I was developing into <laughs> what later in life would be a crippled quadriplegic pretty much uh but headed down that kept down that path um but uh anyway so yeah that was I, I that was one of the things that i got the most from him was a lot of a lot about power 
conditioning. Um, and then for Mr. Rainey, just a tremendous amount of stuff over the years. Um, you know, he, he left, I found him, uh, you know, started working out with him again after he left the gym, got back in, said, Hey, I got to get the rest of five from you. And then, so I got five from him and then he taught me, uh, and then he was going to start teaching me six. Right. And I said, no, wait a minute. We're not going to just have half of six for the next year. Am I? You know, give me this whole form, right? No, no. He laughed. No, no, no. You, you get the whole form. Okay. Okay. So he, uh, let's see. I went to second. Then I, at some point I went to third in 95. It, it, it wasn't a terrible amount of long amount of time between second and third. Um, two years to second and then another year. To, and then he, he promoted me pretty quickly to third. I was doing a lot of, um, I was doing a lot of stuff with, uh, Brian Hawkins organization with the UKS at the time I was part of that organization. And because I wanted my students to have a larger organization to be a part of, and we were a pretty small group in up here in Seattle and, uh, we had gone down to, uh, I took one of my students down to the internationals in 90, I want to say 93. I went, I went in 92 on my own. Um, and I got into, so, so remember I told you, I had no idea who Parker was and I had, and I didn't, I didn't know who Mr. Parker was. And in fact, uh, you know, I'd read the books and I'd gone through all that, but in my mind being from, you know, podunk nowhere, you know, it just wasn't a big deal. And I, I just didn't, I didn't understand the, uh, you know, the, 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 the enormity of who he was and what he did uh, at that time. And so uh, I was going to go, I wanted to go medium in 1990. And my National Guard drill weekend came up the same weekend that the internationals were being held. So I, I, um, decided, okay, well, I'll go next year. And then of course he, he, uh, passed on the 15th of December. <clears throat> so, which, you know, again, major bummer, but, uh, he did leave a great legacy with a lot of his writings and so forth. So, but anyway, um, so I'm kind of skipping around here. Where was I at? So I, I went to the internationals in 1993. I took one of my students, 90, I think I went 92. I went 92 after my, after I got my black belt and jumped into the traditional Kempo forms division, right? I was going to fight. I was going to do forms and fight. I jumped into traditional Kempo forms and <laughs> this is how naive I was. I had no idea that Tiger and Dragon Form 2 is not a traditional Kempo form. <laughs> it's not. Right? You ever heard of Tiger and Dragon Form 2? I've heard of Tiger and Dragon. I've heard of uh, Long 2, Short 2. I uh, was not right. familiar with which curriculum goes with which, though. Yeah. Well, too many Tiger, and Dragon, Tiger and Dragon Form 2 is a rainy form. He has Tiger and Dragon Form 1 and Tiger and Dragon Form 2 after the Tiger and Dragon Kempo Club which is what uh, was under Mr. Hebler and um, later Mr. Rainey up in Alaska and so on. And so he, he, he designed these three forms, one, two, and three for tournaments. They're great forms. They're great tournament forms. Uh, you know, beginner, intermediate, and advanced forms. They're just not traditional forms. 
Right. It's not the long one. I didn't know that. Long, long two, short one, short two that they were expecting. Right. So, got it. Yeah. So I jumped into this division. I blast blast through this form, just killed it. And uh, well, at the end of the form, there's a there's a three kick combination. It's a it's a step back hooking spinning hooking heel jump spinning hooking heel, and you drop straight down into a spinning reverse uh, into a spinning sweep on one leg. Right. So you're on your knee. You drop down to your knee into the spinning sweep. And um, uh, when I came down, the internationals there, they were at the Long Beach Arena. And when I came down, I came down hard on my knee. And so I I finished the form. I got up. I finished the form. That was thankfully the last, you know, it's only two more moves to go. And about, you know, saluted out and all that. <clears throat> got to the, got to the, you know, didn't win anything. And I'm like, huh, well, that's odd. I thought I killed that. Well, I go through the line thanking the judges there, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that it was Bob White, if memory serves, uh, that said, you did a great job. That was a really nice form, and you'd probably won if you were in the right division. <laughs> so, womp, womp. <laughs> yeah, right? So, so I couldn't fight that year because of my knee, uh, so I just basically hung out you know, tried to check out some stuff. And it was funny because I was, I was watching some YouTube video the other day and I saw somebody was randomly running around videotaping, uh, whoever this person with the YouTube video is. And they actually have me corner judging there at the tournament in their video. That's so I year? snagged. Yeah. Yeah. It was that year. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, that's cool. So anyway, um, uh, let's see. So I took some students back. Uh, by this time, I'd opened a studio in in Milton, uh, my own studio. We moved from the gym to the to a, an actual building that I I took one of my guys in. He was a drywaller. Actually, he's my senior guy under me. He's uh, uh, Jeff Brady, <clears throat> first guy to test for black under me. And uh, we went finished the, finished all the drywalls, part of the contract to get in, put carpet down, all that. Had this great big beautiful 1800 square foot open floor studio um and uh so i had a couple guys a couple guys go with me the next year to the internationals um did well uh the one kid took first place in the yellow belt division never never fought in a tournament before he went through undefeated through the whole entire division now it's only a yellow belt division but he still went through undefeated in the whole division it was his first tournament ever like he'd never fought in a tournament before, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, felt pretty good about that. The other guy won third, uh, Cliff Leach. He won third. Unfortunately, he's passed now, but uh, he was a great guy. He was he was one of those old sneaky guys, sneaky timing. Uh, he had an uncanny ability to to just find the spot and find the time and do the thing. But um, one of them guys <clears throat> who says he's not fast, he just has really good timing. Right. Yeah. I know a few guys like yeah. that. Right. <laughs> I call shenanigans on every one of them for the record. <laughs> yeah. No, he was, he was, uh, he was a great student, a lot of fun, but, uh, and then, so <clears throat> I was 93, 90, 95. So yeah, 95, I got promoted to third. Um, we had Larry Tatum up for a, a seminar. We were doing a tournament and we had him up for a seminar. We were trying to, trying to get a, an association going up here. Uh, Mr. Rainey was, we were going to do the Northwest Kempo Karate Association. And uh, 
so we had Tatum up for a big, big deal, big seminar, uh, through a tournament. And then, um, two of the guys that were part of the, part of the deal ran off with the money. Yeah. So it, that didn't go well. And, uh, I was, I wasn't allowed to go after him. So <laughs> me and one of the other guys, uh, sorry, that cracked told- me up. What's that? Sorry, that cracks me up. I wasn't allowed to go after him. Just oh, completely no, we were, deadpan. That was awesome. We were told. We were explicitly told no. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, that was interesting. So I was doing this. I was doing. I was doing a, a, a fair amount of stuff with the UKS. Um, I went down the year that Cliff and I went down. We or came down. We came down about a week early. And uh, we had some time to go work out with the UKS with uh, Brian Hawkins guys. Now at the time, he was in a uh, building. It was a massage therapy building, and he was up above, and the building was largely unfinished. And so, um, and now, mind you, again, I'm I'm just I was kind of uh, small group tempo, and it was you know, hit and be hit. And, and there was some contact and there was some contact. And, uh, so, so there's contact and then there's contact. Oh yeah. Yeah. There were some, there were some goings on there. And, uh, so we, I go to this, we go to this uh, studio to uh, meet uh, Brian Hawkins and, um, kind of work out with them. And I think I was, a, I was a second degree at the time. So this must have been in 90, that was in 93, the year that we went on. And uh, uh, I'm there working out. Oh, I, I pull, we pull in. Mr. Hawkins uh, hands some kid, some guy who's a second degree uh, clipboard and says, here, go with him. So I, I change out. I go with this guy and he's going to, uh, he's going to, uh, you know, kind of review and see where I'm at, do a, a little uh, evaluation. <clears throat> and so he's, he's calling techniques and, you know, form and do this and do that. And he's writing notes in his little clipboard. And I, I really didn't, uh, it really didn't occur to me that it mattered <laughs> at all. <laughs> right. Cause it was, it was like, okay, I'm doing Kempo and whatever, write it, whatever you want on that. And, uh, so, uh, at some point about, I don't know, it was about 20 minutes into it. He says, Hey, you know, let's just do some techniques back and forth. I was like, Oh yeah, let's do some techniques back and forth. Right. So this poor guy, um, and, and you know, and I hadn't been, I hadn't been in any schools where they had a lot of, you know, you didn't, you know, it wasn't touchy touch and pity pat, you know, it was, I mean, we were thumping, we had some contact. Yeah. And, uh, this poor guy. So that, that building was, was, like I said, it was largely unfinished and, uh, you could hear it was pretty echoey. Right. And, uh, so we're going through some techniques and we start hitting, you know, do delayed sword. And then we start, you know, we get into some five swords and then, you know, some leaping crane and, and, uh, then I get in, we, we go into, so let's do thundering hammers. So we go through thundering hammers <laughs> and, uh, so i I go through thundering hammers and I mean, I just, boom, I lit it up and I, I cross over cover up, boom. And I stop and it's dead silent in that building all of a sudden. Now, mind you, there's a class going on in like 
one wall over and it was absolutely dead silent. And I look around and there's just nothing but people looking around the corner to see what the hell's going on over there. You're putting up drywall. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, so I kind of was like, I was kind of like, Oh, oops. And so, so he, he, he gets up and he says, yeah, okay. I think we're done. So we go back over to Mr. Hawkins. He hands him the, the clipboard and uh, they, you know, they talk a little bit and that was it. And he's, so Mr. Hawkins was like, all right, we'll, we'll warm up and, and uh, you know, get ready for, for the black boat class. So I'm over there warm. I'm over there stretching out doing some stuff. And this, this other gentleman, I'll, I'll leave his name out of it. Cause he was kind of, he got kind of uppity. Probably a good idea. <clears throat> anyway, um, he was practicing, working out, just doing techniques in the air, you know, and I was doing some, and he says, I don't know if it was me or him said, Hey, you want to, you know, just go do some techniques. So we start working back and forth and he started going a little harder and I'm like, okay. So I'm going a little harder and I'm just matching him. He's going a little harder and pretty soon he started getting upset and you could tell he was getting upset. Well, you know, and I'm just, I was having fun. And uh, I forget if it was, was it, I think it was Brian came over, Brian Hawkins came over and told him, Hey, you guys break it up. We'll get class here in a little bit. And uh, so I was like, all right, whatever. So I slewed him out. Well, we go into, uh, go into the, uh, the black belt class. And this, this is a, and I'm holding up air quotes, a black belt workout, brown and black belt workout. And, uh, you know, there's a few brown belts and a, and a bunch of high ranking, higher, highest ranking guys I ever saw <clears throat> being up here in Timbuktu nowhere. And, uh, right. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking, man, all these people, this is gonna be fun. Right. I'm going to have a blast beating on these people and just getting some. And, uh, uh, <laughs> evidently Mr. Hawkins read my mind because he kept me isolated to these three guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you've probably met one of them is Marty Malino. I've heard the name. I've seen him at a seminar, but I have not had the pleasure of introducing myself yet. Okay. Yeah. So Marty Malino was one of them. Uh, he was actually, a, uh, and the reason I say that is because he's a Chappelle guy. Hmm. He later, he later became a, a Ron Chappelle guy. Uh, so anyway, he was, he was one of them. And, uh, uh, the other guy was the one guy and, and, uh, I won't name the other guy, but anyway, so, we're going through techniques and there's a club club attack technique uh, evading the storm. And these guys aren't, they, they don't have a club. They're not, you know, and I'm like, okay. So I start going through the technique and I, I get through the technique and I drop, boom, I go into the arm break and I go to the back crossover, take the club and I'm going to whip him with the club and there's no club. So I grab his wrist and I just go into a, a full, full wrist throw out of a twist stance. Right. And so a little torque on that. Just a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, so this kid is six two, probably, I don't know, 220 pounds. And I just tabletopped him. He was about four feet in the air, horizontal. Boom. He came down on the mat with a thud. And again, not a, you could hear a pin drop, not a peep. I cross over, cover out and I look around. I'm like, what, what? <laughs> and I look over at Brian and he just kind of had a smirk on his face, nodded his head. Everybody went back around, back about their business. The two questions that came to mind off of that was, does that guy know how to take a wrist lock and does he know how to fall or did he learn in the air? I think a little bit of both. 
Oh, okay, that's much better than I've seen a lot of other things happen. So that's good. Okay, good. But I, but no, I didn't hurt him. I didn't hurt him. And he and and we had warmed up to that. So I was I was very in tune with what he was able or not able to do. Got it. Yeah. No. He and he's he's that gentleman is a good guy too. And I, I've worked with him for quite a while after that. You know, on a few occasions at camps and stuff. And uh, no, he's a very uh, very. Very good martial artist and very tough dude. Have you met, had you met him prior to that day? No. Oh, cool. So that, that's always fun when you meet somebody at a seminar you hadn't worked with before, and all of a sudden now you're training buddies for a while. Well, it wasn't a seminar. Remember, that was a brown and black belt class. I stand corrected. Yes. Yeah. So this is the brown belt, and so what happened during this whole thing is you they you know he would uh, they would stop the class and salute and bow and rotate right and everybody rotate and i'd go to rotate out and go grab somebody else one of these other new people that i'd never got to play with and um they'd grab me and pull me back <laughs> grab me and pull me back grab me and pull me back you don't get to play over here you go back in the corner <laughs> or, or, or brian would turn me back and put me back over with those guys right and uh so i That's was great. like man what is going on here anyway so yeah, that was a, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, Brian, Brian was very gracious. Uh, he came up here one or two times. Um, uh, he had me teach at his camp in 90, it was 96 or 90, uh, 97. We went to the first camp in Buena Vista in 96, uh, Frank Trejo, um, Steve, uh, uh, Steve Herring, was teaching uh it was an interesting it was an interesting camp um i ran into his name colgan uh he's a guy from from miami or not from from florida i think it was richard no it wasn't that's a guy at work sorry uh anyway this gentleman smaller gentleman smaller stature um real nice guy he was a swat guy back in florida or somewhere from the east coast he was over for the camp and and uh uh, we were working out and <clears throat> we're going back and forth and he, he did something and he goes, Oh, oh I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was like, uh, what, what happened? He <laughs> goes, huh? he goes, Oh, okay, cool. So then every class, <laughs> every, every class after that, he'd come and grab me That's to great. work with me. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, something else, but anyway, that was, a, it was a good camp. And then, uh, so that was, that was, uh, 96, 97, I was asked to teach at the, uh, at the camp and the contact manipulation. Um, cause I had, I had had some discussions with Brian and he wanted, wanted to start doing some more of that <clears throat> in his camps at his offering more of that at his camps. So, um, I taught a con contact manipulation class, uh, it was interesting too, because, when I, whenever I do those, I, I typically, I just grab the largest person in the class and use them because, um, according to my wife, anyway, I'm a, I'm a larger stature guy, particularly now with a couple extra pounds, but, um, you know, I, I never, I never really saw myself as a bigger person. Um, but so I would just grab these big guys and, uh, and they were always, I think, appreciative of the, control and uh and absolutely dumbfounded by the amount of um accuracy and uh you know just the just kind of i know the one the one kid his name was uh rory 
he was one of Dave Thompson's guys and he was a football player, big dude. And, uh, so I pulled him up to, to do a couple of things. And, and, uh, he was, <clears throat> he was, uh, a little, little more than surprised because he was, he was kind of initially kind of a naysayer because he, he ended up up there with me because he was asking me a question about, well, what about, you know, what about if you have a guy my size? And I said, well, what about it? Come on up here. Let's use a guy your size. So we used a guy his size and it, it was fun. It's always fun. So just for our listeners that may not be aware of the definition, how do we define contact manipulation? So contact manipulation is the fourth stage of the four stages of range. You have out of range, within range, contact penetration, and contact manipulation. And in contact manipulation range, you have a myriad of things that can and do happen or should happen. Not the least of which can be joint locks and manipulations, choke strangulations, and holds. And so uh, in, the, in the particular class that I was teaching, I was teaching a segment on what I call re sequence rescripting, which is actually in chapter eight of my book uh, <clears throat> on contact manipulation. And, and so it's a very, it's a very, um, what's the word? It's a very obscure thing, but that's not the word I'm looking for. Abstract. It's a very abstract concept or principle or uh, it's, yeah, it's con abstract concept whereby you uh, you kind of have to visually overlay emotion over some part or body, right? And if you visually overlay a sequence of motion and you can turn that into something without changing the sequence, I'm sure we'll go into this more later, but, uh, anyway, so it, it's, it's, and it's a lot of times because it's abstract, a lot of people don't really particularly do well in abstract thought. Um, and it's hard to visualize somebody else's vision freak, you know, it's, it's just, it's difficult. It's like when you're in a seminar and, and, you know, the, the head guy says, Hey, you know, asks a question and everybody's afraid to answer the question because, you know, you don't know what that guy's answer is. You know, people do it all the time. It's frequent. People do it online all the time. They'll ask a question and say, no, that's the wrong answer. This is what I was looking for. Well, okay. Why didn't you just tell me what you were looking for? Yeah, ask well, the question specifically enough so I know what you're trying to get at here. Exactly, so, exactly. Not to try to to oversimplify it, but I'm trying to provide the context for anybody listening who's not familiar with Kempo specifically. It's more in the line of joint locks because you're in much closer range than you would be for striking. Is that fair enough uh, without oversimplifying? You're talking about contact manipulation range? Correct. Yeah, the range itself is is geared more toward joint locking and manipulations, yes chokes and strangulations awesome um yeah so now that's not to say that you can't use striking because that's also where at that range is where you're going to see and feel or or have opportunity for more of the elbow striking and the knee striking and the you know the rabbit punches and stuff like that very close uh, range stuff you're not you're not talking full length kick full length punches or stuff like that you're within We're, elbow range Right. You're going to be using, yeah, you're going to be using the short range stuff that has power, even shoulder strikes, you know, a good, a good thrust with a, with a shoulder. Uh, you know, it's funny. You see some of the, they, you see some of these uh, old uh, Kung Fu chop sake flicks and they, you know, they have these kind of weird things that they do with their body and you look at it and you go, yeah, uh, yeah. But then if you get in close range, cause I, I actually do that on my speed bag once in a while, I'll walk by and, 
slam it with my shoulder and you know and it's got some power so and when you're in close range and that's all you got you can use it and it's and leverage not, right right it's not meant to it's not meant to kill somebody or maim them but it's meant to stun them right a momentary lapse in understanding of what's happening in your world is all you need to take you know to be uh, a distraction uh, over overtaken exactly so. Awesome. Thank you for going down the mini rabbit hole there. I wanted to just make sure we touched on that. Yeah. Um, so 97, I did a, I did a camp there and that was actually when I met Mr. Hebler the first time. Mr. Hebler, if I oh. remember correctly, is, is uh, Mr. Rainey's instructor, correct? C- correct. Yeah. Yes. Grandmaster Dave Hebler was Mr. Rainey's first Kempo teacher, him and Jim Thompson. And I, I, I want to make sure that I, have Jim Thompson's name in there because he's passed now, but that guy was a character. Um, so, <clears throat> but he, he, he did uh, a lot of the instruction for Mr. Rainey and, and Paul Dye. And so <clears throat> uh, at the camp in 97, it was funny because uh, you know, I got to meet briefly Mr. Hebler and uh, about f- mm, five minutes into my into my uh, seminar, I see him over there and he's waving me over to the sideline there. I'm like, oh, excuse me one second. So I go running over there. I'm like, yes, sir. What can I do for you? He says, hey, uh, can I be your assistant? Because I don't, th- what they're doing over there is boring. And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on in, please. So, you know, that was really, that was, was very cool to have, to have him you know, be that, um, uh, open to it and that, uh, humble about it to be, you know, to just take, can I be your assistant? So, I mean, he, mo- he more or less just kind of watched what I was doing and, and he did help some people, but I think he was more fascinated with the stuff that I was doing and how I was doing it. Um, but, uh, so later it was that evening. Yeah. Later that evening, they had the dinner it was, it was, uh, at a separate place and and so you go into the room and they had it set up all traditional you know so you got all the high ranking people at one end of the room and and as you go across the room they're lower and lower ranking and we're we were all the way at the other end when you walk in the door there's our table <clears throat> so i walk in the door and i had three or four students with me and uh i walk in the door and i look there and and they're at my table is Grandmaster James E. Brow, his wife, Grandmaster Dave Hebler, and my students. <laughs> That's and I looked a fun to the conversation other, night. And I looked to the other end, and there's all the other people, all those high-ranking people, right? And so I went in. I, you know, Dave jumps up. He comes over. Mr. Hebler, he comes over. Hey, we got you a seat over here. He says, I got you a beer. Do you like Heineken? <laughs> I was like, yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I was, that was a, a, a very crazy and very, uh, you know, very humbling experience. So I got to sit across from, uh, master James E. Brow and, and talk to him and, and spend some time with him and, and, uh, you know, with Dave and, or Mr. Hebler and, and so did my students. So, you know, uh, a very unique opportunity for them and for me. Um, so anyway, uh, moving on. So then I'd met Mr. E. Brow then and later we had an opportunity his son 
lived in in Troutdale, Oregon, and one of the gentlemen that I uh, trained at the time um, lived in Troutdale, Oregon, and had made contact, uh, or Mr. Ebra had made contact with him because they they had uh, connected uh, earlier at the camp, and uh, he said, "Hey, I'm going to be there visiting my son. Would you like to get together and train?" And so this guy calls me and he says, Hey, Mr. Ebrow is in town. You guys want to come down? It's this is mind you, this is three hours from me. It's a three, it's a three hour, two and a half, three hour drive down in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I was like, yeah. So I grabbed my, uh, I called all my peeps and I think three of them, three of them made it, it was uh, um, Jeff Brady, Sean Hagler, Dominic Ahuna and myself and this other guy. And, uh, so we go down there and we trained with Mr. Ebrow for like three or four hours, just going through a, some hungar form that he had. He was, I don't remember it anymore. Couldn't remember it if I tried to, but, and then, uh, he went through tiger and uh, he went through tiger and crane form for us and showed us that. And I had never seen a gentleman at, at his age with the agility and the, you know, I mean, he was. He was as spry and agile as anybody I'd ever seen. And he was doing some stuff in there. I was like, whoa, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> and I remember I remember looking at uh, uh, one of my, uh, Dominic Ahuna, he looks over at me with his, with his big old white eyes. <laughs> and afterwards, he was like, did you see that old guy doing that? That's crazy. <laughs> so it was it was a lot of fun but it was a it was a great experience and and you know it was kind of a once in a lifetime deal for people up here in the northwest where you know not a lot of big kempo names come up here or or do anything so um yeah it was a lot of fun we had uh um almost got to work out with them again later i in touch with them a little bit um through also through dave thompson uh, one of Paul Dye's guys. Um, <laughs> there's a story there. I, so I, so Dave Thompson, I actually met him at the 96 Buena Vista uh, United Kempo Systems camp. We were, uh, we were there. I was working out. We're doing, uh, Dave was teaching a class. That's right. Dave Thompson was teaching a class. It was, uh, I don't know what he called it. Uh, anyway, it was, you kind of build a technique in the technique line you go through and you know, one person goes through, they add something, everybody goes through, the next guy adds something, they go through. I remember I had Bob Lyles. I was working on Bob Lyles because I was the last guy in line. <clears throat> and Bob Lyles was about to get hip replacement. And uh, uh, in fact, at one point, uh, I think it was Diane Tanaka looks over at Frank Trail and she goes, man, it's a good thing that kid's got good control. Because I, <laughs> I was, I was, this is, and I say this because this is, directly opposite of the episodes at the other UKS events that we already spoke of. So, you know, I, I knew that Bob had, was getting ready for his uh, hip replacement. So I stayed away from just all of him, you know, just worked everything pretty much pity patty and stayed away from him. But at the dinner afterwards, Dave Thompson comes up to me or no, at the dinner afterwards, they're introducing around, introducing everybody and uh, came around to me and, and, uh, I said, yeah, my name's Todd Durgan. I'm from Seattle, Washington, and my teacher's A.C. Rainey. <laughs> as soon as I got done, Dave Thompson made a beeline over to me. He says, dude, I knew I recognized how you move. <laughs> it 
guys. So we kind of hit it off and and uh, became fast friends and and have been friends for many many years. I've had opportunity to sit on boards at Paul's Paul Dye's garage, uh, and uh, and at Mr. Thompson's place in his garage. I've seen, in fact, I saw, I, I got to watch a couple of his people, almost every test that they had, I got to watch them go all the way from yellow through to black over the years. So I've, we've been, we've been pretty good friends for a long time. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. Um, he, so, and, and actually it's funny because he had video of the 92, uh, 92 uh, uh, internationals. And he has video of me sitting two people over from him on the stage at the internationals watching Paul Dye's uh, self-defense event or self-defense division. <clears throat> so it was a lot of fun uh, to, to see that, you know, he, Dave's got just mountains of video that he has old video. And he was like, yeah, I, I have that. Cause I told him, I said, yeah, I was there. And he was like, oh, I think I have video of that, that year. And so he pulls it out and we're going through it. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, that's me right there with the, the stupid looking ponytail. <laughs> yeah. Didn't grow a ponytail now if I wanted to, but anyway, <clears throat> what's that? Okay. So moving through from the early nineties into the late nineties, then that we still got another 20 years to get caught up on where we're at today. Yeah, I know. I took a little too too much time. Sorry. Okay, oh, it's so all good. Um, I got as much time as you want. So we went. Uh, I, I eventually I separated from the uh, UKS. There were some issues that happened, Mister Rainey. So I had, I had uh, when Dominic Kahuna went to um, went to uh, uh, Black Belt. Um, I had Mister Rainey come in and sit on the board. And at that event, he. And I, I say event, there were there were three people at his test or five people at his test. It was me, Rain, Mr. Rainey, um, one of his and, and two of his classmates. And so after the test, Mr. Rainey promoted me to fourth and fifth degree black belt. Now, he didn't, you know, he, he, he promoted me to fifth and he gave me a certificate for both. So, like, if you look on my Ken, uh, my Kenpo checker site. You can see that there's dated the same date, uh, which was an absolute uh, surprise to me. I had no idea that he was going to promote me, but it it had been five years I'd been wearing third, and I'd been doing I'd been participating in all of these uh, UKS events, teaching and writing um, articles for their newsletter on contact manipulation, which is where uh, which is where the book started actually because uh, I was I was putting all this stuff together mostly for myself and then eventually ended up you know putting it all together in a book so <clears throat> I got promoted to fifth and that was 1999 and then um, I separated from the UKS um, Mr. Rainey was uh, I don't know he he was I think he was teaching in Seattle, Federal Way area somewhere, um, and then was kind of just non-existent for a while. Um, and I was so I, I was teaching in Bonnie Lake, had a little little place upstairs, um, had a few students uh, coming and going. It was it was good. It was just a small school. We moved it down 
stairs. I got a little bit bigger mat space, got a few more students. And uh, then uh, at one point there, I think it was 2001 or two, I don't remember which, Dave Thompson and a couple of his guys came up and tested at my school with one of my guys going to black. Oh, it was 2004. 2004, uh, Sean Hagler went to Black Belt. And uh, he, so Dave brought uh, Dr. Neal up, and I can't remember his last name. And Harden? What's that? Harden? Neil Harden, yes. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, Neil Harden. Uh, rest his soul. What a wonderful, wonderful man. And, uh, and then another gentleman. Uh, shoot, his name escapes me right now. I can't believe that. Anyway, um, so they came up and tested for green and for brown. Uh, Mr. Rainey was there, and one of my other guys was there. Uh, it was a it was a good it was a good test. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was really cool to have Dave bring a couple of his guys up to test, <clears throat> and you know they got to come up and they did some sightseeing and tour stuff while they were here. Um, and yeah, so and during. All of this time, mind you, I still, you know, I was always a student of Mr. Rainey's. And so uh, we would get together and work out. We'd have black belt workouts at my place in Milton. Uh, and then we'd have uh, brown and black belt workouts whenever possible in a couple of the other locations that I moved around to before I uh, ended up in Bonnie Lake. Uh, at a much larger studio, well, no, not actually not a larger studio, a little cozier studio, but I was sharing a location with a Shotokan uh, instructor who one day came to my studio in Sumner and uh, she she said, uh, I asked her, I said, yeah, well, you know, what are you looking for? And she said, well, I'm actually a Shotokan black belt. I have a studio up in Bonnie Lake, but I'm getting ready for my fourth degree black belt test and I, I wanted to get some self-defense lessons. <laughs> It's like, okay, you're, you're okay. And this was, this was in, uh, I want to say this was in 97 or 98. So 97 or not. Yeah. Somewhere in there. And, uh, so I was like, okay. So I, I had a day class at the time. So, you know, she came in, paid her dues, did, did classes for a while. She disappeared and I never saw her again. And, and then one day out of the blue, she says, Hey, would you, uh, would you like to come up and, and split my studio with me? You can have this other room that we have access to. I was like, okay. So I went up and looked at it and moved all my stuff up there. And it was great because it was right close to home. It was in a, in a parking lot, strip malls kind of area. And I, I think I was there for another, I don't know. I was probably there for eight, eight years, eight or nine years. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, it ended up being a pretty good situation. Um, and then, so let's see, moving forward, 2010, 2010, I met uh, Gene Eckhart. Uh, Gene Eckhart is a gentleman, he's uh, from the Tim Bulot, Larry Tatum line. Uh, and he's actually a twin, which is really, if you haven't ever met twins, that are truly twins. <clears throat> it's an amazing thing <laughs> because when you talk to Gene and you talk to Jan, 
you almost don't know the difference other than you know one's Jan and one's Gene with their 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 voice, their inflection, their everything. It's just crazy. Um, and so we had a we had a seminar. Uh, we put together a seminar, Gene and I did, uh, and we had Jan come up from Texas. And so we had this little uh, Northwest, Pacific Northwest, or was it Northwest uh, Kempo seminar, had uh, myself, Gene, Jan, and Mr. Rainey taught. And that was actually the first time that I used my poster as a teaching tool or as a teaching aid. So I'd been working on, I'd been working on this universal pattern thing. <clears throat> and uh, you know, trying to figure out how to how to have a better layout, how to how to uh, visually put it together so that it had uh, you know a a, a greater uh, not purpose, but a, a, it related better. It had a greater relation to the to the you know to the person looking at it, and so. I kind of had the, it was basically, you know, probably, you know, version 0.1, you know, 0.10. I put it up on the wall and used it for the, sem while I was teaching the seminar and it went pretty well. And then, so uh, it was around that time, I think 2011, uh, I met, actually it was, yeah, 2010, 2011, I met a young man named, uh, by the name of Chris Herman, who is in Seattle. He, he runs, uh, uh, very good school, uh, alpha martial arts. And at the time he was getting ready for one of his ranks. I don't know what it was. And he wanted to brush up on two man set. <clears throat> so we, uh, we connected and, you know, it was funny because, you know, when we finally connected, I said, yeah, you know, I, he said, he said, wow, how long have you been here? I said, Oh, I I've been in Washington my whole life. Basically, you know, I've been teaching, uh, in Washington since, uh, cause I was teaching for Randy Borden, you know, uh, since, what 87 or 88 and uh so he was like wow I, you know and I, and I reminded him yeah I, I i actually reached out to you once when you first started but you didn't seem to have any interest <laughs> so anyway so we got him through two man said he went and got his uh, got his test and he uh we 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 collaborated on a uh on a royal family kids event up in seattle uh our first one was in 2011 and i uh, what I did was I blew up the poster. So I had, I had done some refinements and some changes and I blew it up and I actually have pictures on my website of the, uh, of the seminar where you can see me using that poster as a visual aid and it worked really well. It went, it went very well. And so during, it was during that time I was talking to uh, Dennis Knatzer and he was, he was uh, working on, on his Ken posters or his, his, posters, Kempo posters. And, uh, we were, we were talking and I'd been talking to him a little bit here and there. Uh, and it got more and more frequent as I was going through the book because I was, I was fascinated with some of the things that he had from Mr. Parker with regard to his memory of, you know, the seminars and the stuff and the things that Mr. Parker would share with him. And so, <clears throat> uh, he was, he was kind enough to, to give me a, some of his time and, and experiences and understanding and and which really helped me so he said you know uh you got to make a poster and i i actually had already had a poster so um uh i put together another poster with for the levers and leverage and then i 
changed up the universal pattern poster and and try, kind of fine-tuned it put it all together and released it as ken posters so it was just the two poster set and uh he was <laughs> when i did that he was like oh you dog that's a good name ken posters man i wish i'd have thought of that anyway so so i i i put the posters out and uh and the posters actually the the sale of the posters actually helped fund the publication of the book i was looking forward so the, to getting into the book yeah so the so you know I, I i started the book in eight in 2008 um started started the book in 2008 thereabouts and uh um actually no that's not true started the book way earlier than that uh, it was 2000, it was 99, 98 or 99. That's when you said when you were starting to collect the material on it, right? Like yeah. late 90s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was putting, I was putting material together. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the face of combatives. I apologize. I started the face of combatives in 2008. Anyway, um, so, but what people don't know or realize is that, that if, if you have the book and you don't have the posters, the posters are actually augment the information in the book. So it's a very, it's kind of important that they go together. Uh, at least the first two posters that I did. Cause I did not, I did not do the, uh, the full graphics in the book with the universal pattern that are on the poster itself. And I did, and I didn't do it because I, I knew that in my mind, I knew that I had it on the posters. So fast forward, well, Fast forward, back, forward, forward, and back. Um, so in 2011, uh, Mr. Herman and I collaborated on an RFK event. It went very well. And then we basically tried to do one every year after that. And we would have uh, the first year, it was just uh, I was the guest instructor. Second year, I think we put two or three people together. Um, one year, I had Mr. White up to the studio. Bob White, I uh, had him come into the studio and he did a, uh, it was it, actually, that's what it was. It was for the RFK. So it was, it was Mr. White in 2010, I think. And then we did, uh, he was either before or after our first event. And I apologize for not being able to remember that, but I, we, I did have him up. He sat in on a test for one of my junior, my only junior black belt, um, uh, young Schwein. Uh Anyway, yeah, he's done a ton and of work then, with the Royal Family Kids Camp down in Southern California. I mean, just ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call back to season one. <clears throat> Some great stories on on uh, yeah, great stories with uh, Mr. White and and the RFK and uh, my wife and I have have uh, had a lot of fun helping support that event and and that cause. Uh, so we were able to we were able to bring in a couple of different people on the RFK thing. I know I brought in Mr. Milt Gannett. We had him come up and teach for a couple of them. Uh, I joined his Kempo Studies um, Society of Kempo Studies. That was uh, the SKS. So I met Mr. Gannett kind of on accident. Uh, funny story. <laughs> he sent us. Uh, he sent my wife's ex-husband an email. She was looking for a, okay. She was looking for a Kempo school to train at. And uh, 
she was she was really looking for Mr. Rainey, but he wasn't teaching officially at the time. He was he was renting a house, but he was out driving truck and and uh, delivering cars around the the nation. And uh, so anyway, she ended up at my place uh, via Milk Gannett, and um, he, he was Milt, Mr. Gannett is a very kind and gentle man, and a lot of fun to hang out with. And, and he's just a, a very humble and very knowledgeable. And actually, I was I was really pleasantly surprised because I hadn't ever seen him move or do anything with him or done anything with him. And then when I when I went to the first uh, uh, SKS event, you know, they do they do these events in uh, in Vancouver. They were doing them and they do two or three or four a year at the time. And. I got invited down and I went down and, and, uh, I'd never really seen him do anything or done anything with him. And when we got together and started doing something, he, he moves very well. He's a, he's a very gifted martial artist. He does has uh, great form, great execution. And he's a, he's a solid martial artist. Uh, and I, I've been woefully disappointed many, many times, <laughs> but not with Mr. Gannett. So we, we, I think we, you know, fast became friends and, uh, have, have enjoyed that ever since. So he's, he's been up for a few of those. We've done a few medical fundraisers for some of the uh, gentlemen for the Frank Trejo, uh, event. Uh, we did one for Mr. White when he was, uh, battling his, uh, going through his battle too. Um, so in 2011, 2012, um, let's see, 2010, right after the seminar, Mr. Rainey promoted me to sixth. Um, I'd been a fifth degree for 11 years and, I, you know, in conversations that we had had, he basically told me, well, there's, you know, there's really no more rank. And I was fine with that. And I was, you know, like I said, we're up here out of the, out of the Kempo mainstream. And, and I really just was having a good time learning and writing and, you know, doing my thing. And, uh, so I got to meet a lot of people along the way, though, a lot of local people, semi-local people. And then um, Mr. Hebler came back around. Let's see, I'm trying to remember where I saw him again. Boy, uh, <clears throat> but he wanted me to—he wanted me to submit some stuff to him back in '97, '98 for a book he was writing, and I—I I think it was the the uh, the gift of power. I think that's what it is. Um, and I never did because I—that uh, was one of the things that triggered me on the book because I, I i looked at it and uh, after a conversation with dave thompson i was like well you know I, th I think i might have enough material to do my own book so that's kind of how i started doing that well at the time uh and i'm going to back up just a tiny bit at the time i i was not uh i hadn't graduated from high school i basically i dropped out of high school after i left alaska uh didn't didn't get a chance to go back i started working for a living and you know had to grow up real quick because i moved out moved down moved on in 2008 i went back got my ged uh and went back to school got my associate's degree my bsba and then followed that up with my master's in 2012. 2012 i released the book finally after much hemming and hawing so basically i worked on that book for about 14 years and it was for me, it was the releasing of the book and finishing of the book was a procrastination due to the due to the 
uh, more of the fear of the repercussion, uh, not repercussions, but the backlash from the Kempo community or the martial arts world. Cause I really, I really wasn't fully confident that it would be accepted. Um, and there's several reasons. There were a couple people on some chat boards, uh, forums that, <clears throat> you know, just really kind of attacked me ultimately, uh, years ago. It was back around 2008. They just attacked me because I had posted some things about levers and leverage. And, uh, you know, I got this stupid, you know, the stupid stuff that happens on forums. And so I just kind of was like, mm, all right, well, I'm not going to be there anymore. I got away from that. But anyway, so I, I, I was really I was really hesitant to release the book and procrastinated for a long time um, and didn't feel super confident in it being successful because of my lack of education all through my life and yada, yada, yada. Um, fortunately, I have good friends, uh, you know, Dave Thompson and some other people who really encouraged me to do to do it and get it finished and get it put out. Um, and I know Mr. Knatzer is going to listen to this, so I want to encourage him to get his stuff done too. quit procrastinating, putting it off. Another gentleman I, <clears throat> I would love to get on the podcast. Right. Hashtag yeah, he's shout got out. some stuff he's worked. <laughs> there you go. He's got some stuff going on. I know that would be really beneficial to the Kempo world, you know, and, and for me, the book, you know, the book that I did was, you know, initially started out as me putting some stuff together for myself, for my students, uh, you know, what I eventually had planned to, to have available to my students. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's benefited some people. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm working on book two to, to try and, bring some clarity to some of the things in book one, but also expand on a lot of the things. Um, so 2012, I released the book. Um, I know uh, Amy Long wanted me to be in her, in her uh, first Kempo Continuum. Book. What was it called? Yeah. The Kempo Continuum. And I, I did not, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of funny about that whole, I don't know. I, I just didn't think that I was, somebody that really needed to be in a Kempo continue book. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, so I, I passed on the opportunity. And and then uh, later she did it a second one. And so she asked me to be in that one too. And I was like, well, okay. Because by then I had written the book. I had released the book. So I thought, oh, all right, I, I got something I can, you know, something that's of value, I think, uh, that I can myself worthy of being in this book about people that are somebody in the martial arts and so <clears throat> got into that um you know i started doing a lot of stuff on youtube started doing a lot of teaching uh a lot of videos and, and one of the things that i didn't do was i didn't get on and say this is how you do this technique or this technique and i didn't ever want to have that i wanted to have and I, and I still don't ever want to, uh, some of the, some of the videos I have on there that are unlisted are for my students only, you know, face combatives techniques that they can look at and, <clears throat> and learn from, uh, and, and they are how to technique, they are how to videos. But in the majority of my videos, what I talk about is principles and concepts. I don't, I, and that, that's the focus of any of any of the videos is that I want to focus on principles and concepts, not how to do this technique, how to do five swords my way, how to do five, how to do the late sword my way. Yeah, there's enough of that out there. You know, how to do short form one the way I think it should be. No, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm going to, I'm going to teach things like how to isolate your footwork, how, why people have telegraphic actions, you know, where do we get that from and how do we minimize it? How, you know, let's talk about levers and leverage. Let's talk about the universal pattern and why it is the valuable tool that it is, or how can it be more valuable? Why is it so widely misunderstood? Why is it so widely misused or underused as a tool to teach people? So anyway, I think I started my YouTube channel in 2010, 2009 or something like that. Rudimentary videos, you know, posting silly stuff. Um, <clears throat> one of them was the uh, universal pattern. I have a fly through that I did where I, I have a program. It's actually still available. It's free to use kind of. Uh, was Google SketchUp back then, and I so I put the universal pattern together in a 3D form, and did an animation where you can where it actually starts outside the ball pattern, and then you fly through it. So you get to look around from inside the universal pattern in a 3D world. It was really pretty cool. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So, and, you know, and I did a couple of videos like that and some, some silly stuff. And then I started getting more into, uh, putting some, some good meaty stuff on there. And then there's, you know, there's some, uh, seminars and stuff like that. So, um, so we get into, let's see, 2015, 2015, we were doing, uh, I was working with and for, uh, the Dave Hebler Kempo Karate Association started working on his website building this website, <clears throat> helping to organize uh, all of the stuff, did some artwork and, uh, you know, redid the certificates and all that. We did a, we did a uh, kickoff event here in Federal Way that I organized, had uh, a lot of different people come up to teach from the organization, Dave Prosser, Dave, uh, sorry, Mark Puttoff, Gary Wilson, uh, myself, um, Trevor Sherman, uh, one of his guys from Florida, Fred Mergen, and uh, Mr. Rainey, and I think I said myself, we all taught. Um, Mr. Hebler came up. It was a it was a good event. It went well. Um, and then uh, 2016, boy, all the years just kind of blur together, you know. Um, it, you know, I, I at some point I pulled back. I got married in 2013. I married a beautiful woman by the name of Christy Sandoval. And her dad was actually a first-generation black belt under Mr. Parker, Sandy Sandoval. He's on the tree as Sandy Sandoval. Um, so in 2000 and, let's see, 2013, 2014, she was testing for her green, I think. So we had a big test that that year. She tested for green. And then here recently in 2000 and boy, I'm going to get caught here. 2019, <laughs> I want to say. I think 2019, she tested for black in front of a very large uh, board that we had put together at Mr. Rainey's place. It was uh, Grandmaster Ted Sumner, Dave Hebler, Tony Martinez, Ron Chappelle. We actually got him to come up from California. Um, That's rare. Right. Uh, let's see. Ron Chappelle. There was one more. Who am I missing? Oh, no. Anyway, so she had she had uh, 
four 10th degree black belts on her board, which is uh, for up here was quite the quite the rarity. And uh, she did very well. She did very well. In fact, he, as you know, Mr. Uh, Chappelle, I, I, I missed having him sign her certificate. So I had to mail her certificate down to him to have him sign it. And That's great. It, it, it was, it was taking a long time. And I was like, you know, I was like, oh. so I got a hold of him. I said, Hey, Mr. Chappelle, do you, you know, were you able to get that out? And, and you know, and he's, Oh, I, I just, I'm waiting for a couple of signatures. <laughs> well, I didn't know he was going to send her back a, you know, he sent her back a certificate uh, from his university uh, recognizing her black belt. And, uh, and as you know, sent me, sent the thing for me, which was quite an honor um and a, and a massive surprise so uh in 2000 and in 2019 toward the end of 2019 i had a peer review for my system i put together a a brief uh summation or summarization actually a, a presentation gave it to all of the gentlemen that were in the in the review uh prior to the prior to it the event and had them all, we kind of all got together on couches and chairs. They had their stuff came together and they all asked a bunch of questions. And, uh, uh, as we wrapped it up, it was funny because, um, Gene Eckhart is a very thoughtful person. He's very, uh, when I say that he does a lot of research, he's very, uh, very astute, <laughs> And he loves to, he, he, and I knew that he would come with the most questions and he did. He had a, he had two pages of, two pages of questions for his, uh, for his part of the event. So, <clears throat> uh, out that I gave him, you know, just basically outlined the requirements, some of the philosophies and some of the concepts and, and things that are different that I'm teaching in my system and, and some of the how to's and wherewiths that was put together and so forth and it was funny because at the end of it mr rainey looked at me and said i'm surprised that you did this and i said did what he said i'm i'm very surprised that you would go through this <laughs> and i said well, why he said you don't need to do this he said you you're you're, you're you know it takes a lot of cojones just to do this but it also uh, is very, uh, it's a very difficult experience, difficult thing to go through to put your stuff out there for other people to critique, you know, and sit there and listen to it and answer questions. And basically that's what I did. It was about a two hour session. You know, there was, uh, four people there. Uh, Gene Eckhart was one of them. And then another local gentleman, Actually, the only other gentleman that I, the only gentleman that I know of that ever got his black belt with Randy Borden was there. His, his name is Michael Laney. He's actually trains under Gene now, but <clears throat> uh, uh, great guy. Um, I've worked out with him for many years now, too. Uh, anyway, so that was an interesting question for Mr. Rainey. He was, he seemed to be very surprised that I did that. Um and then I sent it to many other people. I sent it to Dave Hebler. I sent it to Dave Prosser. I sent it to Ron Chappelle, to uh, Dennis Knatzer. I sent it to a bunch of people uh, to review. 
to look at and uh, get insight and information and kind of some feedback from so and so here we are in 2021 2020 was a big bust um, <clears throat> I put together an, an association with a gentleman out of California uh, the name of Robert Ashmore uh, he's my vice president for the PKKA uh, FASIC combatives actually it's the FASIC Kempo Karate Alliance um, I don't want to have a great big thing I just want to have a small uh, small group. I want to have an opportunity to continue Ed Parker's legacy, as well as kind of grow my own uh, system under the same umbrella. Uh, and I have uh, one gentleman who's been with me now. Well, he's actually been with me for a long time. He's a great uh, He is training in the face of combatives. He went to green and Ed Parker Campo, and then he started over in face of combatives. Uh, all the techniques have different names, all the forms, uh, there's attributes at the, on the techniques and all kinds of other stuff. You just got to learn some judo, jiu-jitsu, uh, Kali scream, a bunch of other stuff that's mixed in there. And, and I took a lesson from, uh, from the uh, IKCA with regard to the organization of the techniques and, the, and how I did stuff. Now, you know, you guys have your master form. And one of the things that I did with the PKI was I put together for each belt level, uh, I put together a, what I call a mass attack form. So every belt level has its own mass attack that involves or includes all of the techniques in that belt level in order. So I actually built new form. <laughs> what a, oh my God. I don't know why I do that <laughs> stuff to myself. I tell you some of the stuff I do to myself anyway. Um, yeah. And, uh, and he's working on it. He'll be my first black belt under my system officially. He's going to get his brown belt here in another month or two. And uh, he'll, he'll be there in another year or so. It'll be, it's exciting. And I've invited, uh, I have a group of people that come to the, come. Those, the, the same people that sat in for the review system uh, outline uh, have been invited to all of the tests for the PKI guys. So it's, it's, uh, it's been fun that way I get some live feedback from them at the end of the test and they get to actually see visually, see what the system is about and what, what is different about it from Ed Parker Kempo, uh, and you know, what the value is that it has. So, uh, that's it. That definitely catches us up to where you're at today, right? Yes, sir. There's some stuff I missed in along the way, I'm sure, but I took too long <laughs> on some other spots. Okay, so let's dig into a couple of those pieces there. I want to talk about the book, and I want to talk about PKI. Okay. So let's dig into the book. To the the book and the posters go together, as you mentioned earlier, right? So mm -hmm. I, because you're Ideally, now yes. working on part two of the book, what's part one about? Well... So constituents of contact manipulation, ultimately what I did was I tried to go through and, I, and break down. Uh, old, uh, so really it started out more about <clears throat> the universal pattern and levers and leverage. Okay. I was, I was very fortunate. I was, I got to go to a Wally Jade uh, seminar in 94, 1994, Wally J and Remy Praces. And wow. there was another guy that I'm not, there was another guy that I'm not going to talk about. We drove four hours to get there. It was a great seminar. 
it was, I wouldn't, I would, I'm so glad I got to go. <clears throat> um, but I was during the seminar, uh, Wally J would say, it's this, it's this. And he, you know, he'd turn his wrist. And if you see any of his, any of his videos, he'll talk about, you know, the flexion where he prone, pronates and supinates his wrist. Right. And he says, it's this, it's this. And, and the, they talk about leverage, but nobody really defines leverage, right? The four basic elements and the, and the arrangement of the four basic elements. So I really wanted to, uh, when I got back from that seminar, I, I really wanted to understand what is this? Because you can feel the difference in some of the applications of leverage, but do you understand the difference in the arrangement of those elements. And remember, I said, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in both worlds between, you know, Chuck Sullivan's mindset, which was keep it as simple as possible. And Ron Chappelle's mindset, which is, let's find this out. And let's get down to the nitty gritty and understand every little detail into, into the minutiae. Yeah, you can't so, get two more <clears throat> diametrically opposed approaches to the Kempo syllabus. That's absolutely true. Right. So I, I and I am afflicted with both with the with the with the with the uh, desire for both. Right. Sadly, I don't know if it's possible. But anyway, um, so I wanted to understand better the 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 leverage, because uh, make no mistake, Wally J was an, a phenomenal uh, uh, small circle. Jiu -jitsu. I mean, he, he founded the system and he. He did it great. I mean, he, it was it was incredible to have him do stuff on you and and to watch him doing his stuff. Uh, equally as incredible and as impressive was Remy Prasis. So, um, so when I got back, I started seeing leverage, leverage, and I was already deep into the universal pattern because, you know, at the time a lot of people, you know, they were just talking about the geometrical shapes and all this and. And I, I, I just, for some reason, I saw it as more than that, you know, and there's so much more than that. And so I, I got into the book. I uh, had some conversations with uh, one of my black belts, uh, Dominic Kahuna, actually, brought up one time. And, I, you know, I, I want to give him credit for this because he really kind of turned on a light bulb for me. And this is perfect evidence that you can learn from anybody and you should be open to that. Um, we were having a conversation about the universal pattern and he, he said, Oh, it's kind of like the medical field where they have the, the three dissections of the human anatomy. And I was like, huh? And I, huh? And he said, yeah, the, uh, you know, the transverse coronal and sagittal planes. Ah, oh. so, you know, we finished the conversation. He left and I immediately got online, got into the books, started looking it all up pulled it up and, and on my first poster I showed a graphic of a human anatomy with the three uh, dissections of the human anatomy and I also showed it in the book actually <clears throat> because I thought it was very important and very pertinent uh, uh, relative to the universal pattern and what it is and why it is um, so uh the levers and leverage, same thing. We don't, uh, we as a whole in Kempo anyway, you know, we, we have all of this, all of these uh, 
principles and concepts and terminologies that we use all the time and 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 we're throwing them out at the students and we're you know understanding this and we're understanding that and we're thinking about this and we're dissecting this but you know levers and leverage you know it's not in you know you'll see leverage and you'll see levers but there's no finite description or breakdown of either of those in any of the Kempo books. None of Ed Parker's books. It's just not there. And so um, I found some great books, did some, did a lot of research, uh, started really, really practicing and learning that. And that was, you know, that's honestly part of the, the other part of the 14 years to, to write the book was I was doing a lot of mat testing and I was doing a lot of, a lot of, you know, live testing to see what this stuff is and putting things together and putting elements together. So I incorporated a lot of the, the universal pattern, the levers and leverage. Uh, and then, and, and I really wanted to break that out because in contact manipulation, in as much as in striking and, and kicking and all of those things, levers and leverage are absolutely important. They're, it's imperative that you have at least a basic understanding of those. And so uh, that in my mind is a very basic component of contact manipulation, as well as is the universal pattern in the nine planes. <clears throat> so the first book basically uh, or ultimately goes through what is what I consider some of the basics of contact manipulation. Okay. And then I introduce also in chapter eight, I introduce one of my own, you know, like I said, my own little thing on sequencer scripting. Okay. And I know you're working on book two, so we can either plug for book number two and see if we can draw any of the uh, previews out of you. Or I can uh, switch that over to PKI and talk about present tense, whichever way you want to go. So, so, so book two, uh, book two is actually about halfway done. Um, I work on it periodically. I was working on it earlier today. It is called Kempo Karate Constituents, Volume Two: Cause and Effect, Decoding and Applying Contact Manipulation. Nice. <clears throat> now it's also a video enhanced book, so. Ultimately, what I'm going to do, or what I'm working on, uh, and which I should mention, uh, so is so are the posters. The posters actually have QR codes that pull up uh, unlisted YouTube videos that I've done talking. Uh, I have brief, you know, little minute to two minute uh, uh, shares on the different aspects of the universal pattern, or levers and leverage, or methods of execution. Right on. So anybody who buys the book gets the bonus content. Right. So book two is going to have the same thing, but it's going to be throughout the book, not on the posters. Hmm. Right. So because book one doesn't have that. Got it. Book one is all book one is all text, text so and pictures. Book one goes with the posters. The posters have the extra video content that comes with it. Correct. And I wouldn't be doing so my job helps. if I didn't ask. I'm assuming we have a bundle on the website somewhere where they can get the book and the posters together. Correct. Yes. There's a package deal on there on uh, KempoGuy.com. Awesome. We're going to hit that again in the ending, ending uh, segment too. So just making sure. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, so book two goes through, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the stuff, but I'm also going through a lot of additional materials 
because if you listen to the the uh, the title, it's Kempo Karate Constituents. So it's Kempo Karate Constituents, not just Kempo, uh, not just contact manipulation, cause and effect, and decoding and applying contact manipulation. So I talk about uh, I go through things like I'll give you just a quick one or two things: analytical study of motion. Uh, in book, oh boy, three, I believe it is, uh, Mr. Parker's Infinite Insights. No, actually, I might be wrong. I think it's in book five. <clears throat> um, one of Mr. Parker's books, and I, I'm drawing a blank right now, uh, is the analytical study of motion where he's got this cool chart. And you can see uh, the... Uh, where he he li he lines out what they are, uh, you know, direction, method, path, angle, uh, and dimension, or dimension and angle. If I'm going to go in order, and so I talk about how that how the universal pattern is relative or relevant to that uh, analytical study of motion, and how we can actually convert all of these things over. It's in volume three. Uh, <clears throat> how we can convert the terminologies instead of the, you know, inward over looping back knuckle kind of thing where we just talk about, you know, it's high on a number one plane. Right. And so it, it becomes uh, this visual roadmap where you, you actually have a line or a path that you know about right from your visual cues in a universal pattern anyway so i go through that you know, planetary systems uh striking and blocking i mean there's a lot of different stuff that i talk about in chat in book two uh that's not in book one and then a lot of this stuff i touch on because of questions that i've gotten from people that have read book one funny story about that i was teaching us we were doing <laughs> we were doing a uh, an rfk event had the posters blown up and <clears throat> did my seminar and afterwards uh and, and mr white had come up for that one we were doing it at mr rainey's place great event and uh <clears throat> um <laughs> this guy one of mr rainey's students comes up to me afterwards and he says oh my he says mr durgan says i just want to ask you what is it your engineering degree that that uh helped you be able to write the book <laughs> and I just about fell on the floor. <laughs> I don't have an engineering degree. I don't know where he got the idea that I had an engineering degree, but man, that was funny. That is funny. I just looked down. I, I said, dude, I was a high school dropout. I have an engineering degree. So that was pretty funny. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that's about that's about it for book two for now. Uh, I don't know how long it'll be for before I get it out. But uh, I am working on it. Oh, so I was hoping I could bait you into giving us a timeline because then you got to hold yourself to it because it's being published. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it was worth a shot, you know. In fact, somebody asked me, hey, how long are you going to be on book two? I said, well, don't hold your breath. The first one took me 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where are we at now for the book two? Uh, four or five, I think. Ah, so you still got time. Well, yeah, I stopped to, I stopped to uh, put my system into a manual. Makes sense. In between there. So, okay, so let's go. Let's go to there. So PKI. Mm-hmm. Basic okay. combatives integrated. Correct. So what does that mean to somebody who walks in the door and you say, "Hi, we're teaching PKI." 
Hmm, that's a good question. So it's an eclectic immersion attribute training program and method extrapolated in part from a traditional Kempo system and curriculum. How's that? Yeah, okay, let's expand <laughs> on that. Because the next question is going to be, huh? It's an analytical study of motion with an intellectual incorporation of principles. And so ultimately, uh, we, I want to have a student become more readily, uh, more uh, able and ready for combat in a shorter period of time. Does that make sense? Yep. There's quite a lot of systems out there, material, where it takes you, you know, you got to get it through the first couple of levels of material before you got enough to be combative with. Yeah. So exactly. we're looking to shortcut that. Right. Or, excuse me, we're not looking to shortcut their ability. We're looking to, to cut down the volume of time it's going to take before they're reasonably effective. Yep. Correct. So how do we do that? Well, so <clears throat> one of the things that I've seen over the years, uh, training different things in various seminars and videos and everything else is that there are some systems that have great training tools that help students become uh, more attuned to what's happening visually and physically. Uh, one of those, one such thing is, I'll give an example, is the Huba drill from the uh, Face Collie world, or I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Face Collie, from the uh, uh, Collie Arnese world or Pekiti. Um, <clears throat> so, and, and one of the things that I love about that is it, it, those systems is that they, they do have these great training exercises that are, are, can be circular or they can be linear. And what I mean by circular or linear is that you can, they can, they can be an ongoing event like two man set. You can continue through two man set continuously, right? You just keep going, keep going and keep going. Uh, the who but is the same thing. It just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Now, a linear event would be more like doing delayed sword or or five swords, right? Where you go through, you finish the technique, crossover, you cover out, and you're done. So it's it's very it's very linear. It's very you know I do this event and it's over. Now it's the other guy's turn. So you're just taking turns instead of having a more circular flow and and continuation of of interaction. Does that make sense? Yep. That's uh, that's a highlight of a lot of the, the drills that come out of those lineages is you're you're really flowing back and forth and learning to go with that flow of motion so you can switch and change if you need be. Correct. And what that does is that gives you opportunity to um, understand and recognize positions and relative positions, right? And be able to flow into and out of other things. <clears throat> so the incorporation of those types of drills uh, in facing combatives is a very, very key element where um, uh, we do a class warm up will be some hubud. Well, after we do our basics, always basics, always basics. So we'll go through footwork, we'll go through kicks, we'll go through punches and strikes. Then we'll move into a hubud uh, training. And I, I may change it up sometimes. I may make it a, a hubud training, just straight hubud, high, low, high, middle, low, working on the, the, the different zones and quadrants. Or I may give them, uh, you know, have them get the clubs out. We may work some club stuff with the hubud. We may work some universal stick set uh, stuff. 
Uh, <clears throat> and one of the things that I do with the facing combatives, for example, is the stuff that you learn for your techniques is the same stuff you're going to learn for your weapons. So, and this is something that people uh, have not incorporated a lot of. So when I teach a technique, I teach, uh, you know, I start the beginner down the path of understanding what the universal pattern and how is and how it can be used. <clears throat> got the nine planes we have motion we move on <clears throat> any one of those nine planes or directions <clears throat> and when we get to uh, the clubs it's the same thing it's the same nine planes now Kali Eskrima has their own numbering system for their stick stuff right they have one two one through twelve depending on which system you go to they all have a, their own numbering system or they're all somewhat similar well, so what I did was instead of changing numbers and having some whole new thing to memorize, was I said, okay, I'm going to create my own subsystem of stick stuff and weaponry and utilize the nine planes and those, those eight basic angles as the angles that I teach for the weapons. Okay. So if, if a student learns delayed sword and they're doing an outward downward diagonal hand sword on a number nine plane, Okay. And it's the I same said plane when you translate it over to the stick. I, I, yeah, I said I set up both ways because I wanted because we're in audio here. It is exactly the same when you translate it to the stick. It's an outward, it's an outward downward di diagonal strike. Nice. Okay. And so what I did was I built the universal stick set. It's a basic training set to help the student understand the nine planes and get that working. Okay. They're the same exact angles that any other system uses. We're just using the nine planes as a reference because that's the same reference we use for empty hand work and footwork, right? So that's one of the... Go ahead. You threw me for a second there. You said, I got the empty hand part, and then you said footwork, and now I got to... Wait, I got to bring back that. Nine planes for footwork? Well, there's... You move horizontally, don't you? Yeah. Okay. Footwork consists of what? Okay. Now I'm on the same page. <laughs> so the number one plane is what most of your footwork happens on however when you're doing a crescent kick or an axe kick it moves on a number three or a number nine or a number two or no you know right so i i had to stop and ask that question because there's as many lineages if i've as i've been blessed to train with there's not a whole lot that equate footwork with kicking ah so I, I had to ask the question because I went, wait a minute, hold on. Okay, I got eight. Where's nine? Oh, there's nine. Okay, got it. it Makes more sense. Okay, so so but and you're right. They are separate categories under the categories of basics. Nine categories of basics. Footwork and kicks are separate categories, just like blocks, parries, strikes, finger strikes, foot maneuvers. Yeah, it's a controversial topic when it comes to the way I was trained in three different lineages: one Chinese, one Japanese, and then one American. Three of them equate footwork and kicking to be exactly the same thing, just extensions thereof. So every kick is an extension of just of plain footwork basic. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of other places that I've trained and mm -hmm. had experience with that do not think they're directly related in the same way. So I, I had to ask because it, it intrigued me. No, you're you're absolutely right. But it's funny because if, if you read through Mr. Parker's stuff, you'll understand, as you I'm sure you do, uh, that, you know, kicks are exaggerated footwork, right? Now, I don't, I don't necessarily push that idea of kicks and footwork being the same. They are separate categories of basics. 
okay, to study separately. But when we get into action and reaction and doing and moving, they become one and the same. Yeah, the footwork powers into the kick. It's just an exaggerated step. Correct. Yep. Exactly. Just like a punch is an exaggerated push. Cool. On the same page. Um, so, yeah. So the, the, the biggest thing with the face of combatives, I've taken... Uh, uh, I only have one technique, techniques, nine techniques for nine belts. Um, doesn't sound like a lot, but each of those techniques has its own attribute. Now, what the attributes do is the attributes incorporate something from other systems, joint locks, manipulations, china, basically, or Japanese jiu-jitsu. Uh, some jiu-jitsu groundwork. I teach a, a, a ground set and some grappling. Um, there are some techniques that go into judo throws or takedowns, uh, and then other techniques go through uh, weapons, uh, offense and defense. Number nine seems to be cropping up quite frequently. Number nine? Yes, it does. It's a universal number. So let's break that In down. We've science... got a lot of first-time martial arts listeners here. Break that down for us. Well, in the science world, nine is a universal number. Uh, you have the breakdown of nine, three, three, and three, uh, which, <clears throat> and one of the reasons that, that I stayed with nine was to kind of keep that universal number. So three techniques a student gets, they then get the first three, they, we put those three techniques into that mass attack I was talking about. Then once they get the next three tech, actually, and they get their first form. So they're working on one form or set and those first three techniques. Then for the next three, they're working on one form or set and those three techniques. And then as they get the new techniques, I string them together in the mass attack. So that by the time they get to the end of the belt level and the last technique, they've already got the first eight techniques in that mass attack practiced on a body, on bodies, I should say, and um, fully understand and are comprehending the interaction of the three or four people that they're working with. And they've got it to practice down in their mass attack form. Correct. Absolutely. So the mass attacks do not have the attributes. I'm starting to mass see attacks that integrated go has multiple meanings. <laughs> exactly. So let's get back to FASIC Combatives Integrated. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite people I never got to meet but I've watched all of his videos and stuff and had spent time with uh, Rick Hutcherson from the martial arts store, had him do a seminar for me. In fact, I still use the grappling, the ground set that he taught at a uh, little thing I had him do at my school. I use that same exact ground set. I've expanded on a little bit for ground set too, but I use that. <clears throat> um, Dave German. And I was, I was actually complimented by Mr. Chappelle at the uh, 2000, 2019 event uh, that he was up for was it man yeah it was 2000 yeah I just I found know. the diploma for uh, Christie's black belt and the number of signatures on that diploma is impressive <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> just a couple as is um, the picture below it that has uh, uh, 19 people in it <laughs> yeah there's a couple people there um, so at, at that event uh, Mr. Chappelle recognized what I was doing and complimented, uh, paid me a very high 
novel. Anyway, so this combat integrated. I, I really uh, fell in love with the way Dave German did some things. Um, not so much some things, but a lot of things in the way he was pulling all of these systems together with the Nawaza, the the uh, uh, China, the Kali, and all of those things. And if you've ever watched any of the Dave German stuff, it's actually pretty intriguing if you're into that kind mm -hmm. of, you know, crossover um, stuff. And <clears throat> one of the things that um, one of the things that I wanted to do was kind of I didn't I didn't want to have people mistake this for uh, well, I didn't want to use the, the Kempo word because I was trying to also move away from any problems with Cam 4 hmm. and any issues that that might have also why I renamed all of the techniques um, and change some of the stuff like a lot of the weapons techniques uh, uh you know i have some some subtle and some more uh noticeable differences in the knife attacks and the gun attacks or the club attacks um you know that that are more attuned or more akin to the kali arnis stuff as opposed to you know traditional kempo stuff just as background while we're uh, discussing uh, david german is uh, he was one of the early Parker black belts in the Kempo systems back in the, the 1960s. And he also had significant uh, training in judo, jiu-jitsu, a lot of grappling training. He was one of the first guys that really did a fusion between the striking and the grappling flowing in and out of each one. So uh, right. that was a high compliment indeed to be compared that way. Yeah, and actually, aside from Gene LaBelle, judo Gene LaBelle, uh, one of the one of the original judo gene labelle is one of the original mma guys in my opinion yep uh if not the original mma guy uh dave german was also one of the original mma guys to to actually mix martial arts and bring them together yeah not in the so, modern competition sense but in actually taking techniques from different lineages and, and putting right. them together in a way that makes logical sense yeah lineages and styles and he he was um very intelligent guy and if you if you listen to the way he numbered and formatted things i did head load but, uh he had a way of doing it differently than everybody else did so uh i had the pleasure of having mr joe Rabello tell me about it uh, briefly about how he formatted things with the, the the different numbers um so i i wanted to um you know i, I did some research on the the facic uh you know what 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 is what is uh facic and I'm so glad you know, you're bringing us there because that was going to be one of my next questions is how does the word FASIC fit in? So, okay. Well, FASIC is, if you read the definition, a FASIC receptor is a sensory receptor that adapts rapidly to a stimulus, reacting rapidly and strongly to a stimulus, but quickly adapting and having a short period of, of excitation. So ultimately, for me, what that means is that we're going to react as appropriately and as quickly as possible to any catalyst or or um, sense anything that happens, right? Attack, etc. And so we've got so, the integration concept. We've got the phasic concept, and the combatives is I'm assuming in, nat in re uh, relation to the nature of the material. Correct. Yeah, and combatives is spelled with a K to pay homage to Kempo. And I heard you mentioned material came originally from Kempo. We've got some jujitsu in there. We've got some Arnie's uh, 
Filipino martial arts in there with the stick fighting and whatnot. What else has played a, uh, played a piece or a role in developing that system? Uh, there's some judo. And all the rest is just out of my head. The, the science and the physics. Um, I, you know, I, like I said, I spent, I spent a considerable amount of time before I came up with the word phasic. And I studied some different things. And I, I knew what I wanted it to be. Um, and, you know, it's phasic. And it's ironic that phasic has that definition and that meaning. And if we look at Kempo and the phases that Kempo works in, the three phases, the what if, the ideal, the what if, and the formulation phase, uh, it, it, it all comes together or culminates in the same idea. And so we're integrating these ideas along with these different parts and pieces of systems to come up with a, an, a, a, what, what I would like to think is a more, uh, not necessarily more effective combative, but an effective combative uh, process, right? And basic combatives ultimately is an organic learning. I, I want it to be, or I'm trying to have it be a more organic learning process. And an example of that is <clears throat> where I was uh, showing one of my students uh, one of his new attributes. And so I showed him one of his new attributes. And when I do something like that, I usually review <clears throat> first what some of their old attributes are. They're going through this. You remember earlier I talked about relative positioning. And as they're going through this, he'll go into some other attribute because he's in a position relative to that attribute and he just slides right into it. And I'm like, I don't think that's the attribute for that technique, is it? He's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's not what I showed you. And so he'll go over to his little notebook and come back and, oh, you're right. It was this over here. So it's, so it, so, you know, so it all kind of starts blending together. And so at some point, it doesn't really matter what technique you're in. You can go to an arm bar, you can go to a choke, you can do it to this, you can go to that. You can punch out, strike out, whatever the case may be. It's just like if you're in, if you're in, let's say you're in uh, five swords and you're doing the block the initial block for five swords, you are in a position now to go into a myriad of other techniques from that one position, from that. So you're stepping block. back and using a right inward block. Or stepping in using a right inward block. You're in a, you're in a myriad of, of your, I'm sorry, you're in a position relative to a whole bunch of other techniques. And you could go into all kinds of things. You could go into unfurling crane. You could go into delayed sword you can go i mean on and on and on with the different techniques you can go into right mm -hmm. and so the idea is that through the understanding and the, and the uh, practice of relative positioning and being in those positions and and being in uh you know using these things all over the place as you go through you're able to then start incorporating them randomly without having to uh, dialogue or format or, you know, go through the, the, uh, uh, the what if process and formulation process, you know, it's an automatic formulation anyway. So when you say attribute, is that some component of a technique then? Uh, How do we define yeah. that? So what is an attribute? Uh, so <laughs> the attributes are, you can, the easiest way to explain it for the for the Kempo people 
uh, would be think of it as a, as an extension okay. to the technique. The difference is that the, that the attribute doesn't necessarily have to be done at the end of the technique. It doesn't necessarily have to be done in the middle of the technique. Okay, it's an attribute that is it's it's a piece of china, jiu-jitsu, judo, okay, collier niece that's taught somewhere in the technique. Now, typically, I teach it at the end of the technique, like you would teach an extension, but it can be done most of them at the beginning or in the middle or at the end. Okay, so for a Kempo people, that makes it really easy. For the non-Kempo people out there, I'm just going to throw out an example. So it'd be like, let's say you ended a technique with a throw, an attribute on the end might be putting in some kind of a control manipulation lock, you know, arm bar or Correct. wrist lock or something like that, or possibly Correct. striking on the end of it. Or, or you go through a striking technique and you end it with a throw. Got it. Right. Now... <clears throat> Um, the, the techniques, when I have a, uh, when I have a student go through, let's say they're testing, I go through and I do the technique attribute with N attribute. The attributes are only put there because, because it's a, it's more common sense and it's a logical process or a logical uh, pathway to that attribute from that position. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Rather than that haphazard, random, oh, I think I want to do an arm bar, so I'm just going to flip him around and grab his arm. And No, we're going to, it's going to be a logical progression to that place. Because of where what you're that at does with is this that person's help. body, these are available options to use. Correct. Now, as they become more advanced, there are some manipulations that happen to pull them into position or some footwork or something like that. But typically, they're done with that in mind, that this is the logical progression to this choke or to this hold or to this throw or to this lock from this position, right? Nice. So, like, for example, in Delayed Sword, it works perfectly at the end of the technique, but it also works perfectly at the beginning of the technique. Because the, the attribute is basically a figure four wrist lock hmm. or a gooseneck, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> so if you drop back, you execute your inward block, you do your front kick, you go with the hand sword, you come back, you hook gooseneck lock. Now, I realize there's no video for this. So uh, ultimately, if you thought about going into drop back into your inward block <clears throat> to the inside of the arm and then just reaching back, getting the opponent's grabbing wrist and pulling that down as if you were doing a pullback hand and pulling your other hand across the top as if you were doing a pullback hand, that creates that figure four lock, but it brings it in tight to your body and puts them down in front of you. I like which that. Incorporates, which now incorporates some of the ideas of sequence rescripting, which is very difficult to examine audibly, but we'll do it. Almost kind of need the uh, the visual stimulus and or hands on, but we can get to it. A lot of it is a lot of it is going to really uh, uh, depend on the person's experience listening. That's fair. So let's see what we get. Right, yeah. Nothing like throwing you to the wolves here, right? So you want so you want to go into sequence scripting? Is that what I got? Why not? Let's give it a shot. 
All right. So sequence through scripting. And you remember I said that I was collaborating a lot with uh, Mr. Knatzer mm -hmm. uh, back when I was writing my book and stuff like that. And I actually, this is one of the ones that I kind of bounced off of him. Now I did a lot of, I did a lot of uh, reading in the dictionary and go, going through words, trying to um, properly define and describe what it is that sequence rescripting is, right? <clears throat> now I'm going to give a kind of a, 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 a breakdown of how it works. And for the Kempo people, uh, it is a mix between grafting and the rearrangement concept, okay? But it's neither of those things. So the rearrangement concept for the layman and the non-Kempoist, the rearrangement concept is simply numbering moves and changing those the order of those moves with those numbers. Okay, so if I have a block is one, a punch is two, and a kick is three, I can change those numbers. Three, two, one, three, one, two, one, three, two, one, two, three. That's the rearrangement. So I can rearrange those any way that I want. Grafting would be uh, an example of grafting is where we take a technique and we transition into another technique, um, basically. Sequence rescripting is more of an overlay of one sequence of motion or motion over a situation or position that that motion or that sequence did not exist with previously. So the example would be uh, my pullback hand, when I come down and I grab that wrist on, de on delayed sword, when I grab and I do that pullback hand, okay, that is the motion. That's it's that's what it if would normally be intended for. But now with a wrist in that in the way of that, that turns into a wrist lock. So delayed sword for our uh, since we don't have video on this one, delayed sword for our non kempo people is uh, typically taught either as a right hand grabbing the left lapel or taught as a punch. And in this particular case, we're discussing the version where it's the right hand grabbing the left lapel. Right. Just staying with the traditional version. So the traditional, because and it taught, was taught traditionally for a grab because that's a less lethal attack, right? So the student as a beginner is working from less lethal to more lethal. Something easier to deal with where, where you know, that's why later on you get into, you know, knives and clubs and stuff being swung at you and yeah, stuff. Yeah, the logic behind that is it's much easier to deal with a hand where you already know where it's at, being on your body, grabbing your lapel, rather than in the air somewhere that you have to intercept or deal with. Correct. And it adds it adds more senses. You then have the sen you then have the sense of touch. Right? And if you like uh, 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 Dr. Chappelle's verbiage, it starts to incorporate some PNF in with that. Right? Neuromuscular. Yep. <laughs> big $50 <clears throat> word that means you can touch it and you know where it's going and things happen when things get touched. Or if it touches you, you know where it's at. Uh, so $50 word, that's good. Um, so sequence rescripting, if I do, if I do, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's difficult to explain. It basically takes, and you can take any part of a sequence one or two or three moves and the best example for everybody here will be this if i throw a punch out straight out i throw a straight punch and i pull that punch back it's a it's a straight punch and it's a pullback hand now if i reach out 
somebody grabs my wrist and I re-grab their wrist and I pull that hand back as it rotates it causes a spiraling effect or rotation in the other person's grabbing hand thusly a joint lock and compliance <clears throat> so that's a very 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 simple rudimentary uh, kind of visual roadmap for what sequence rescripting is now through this and what I started doing uh, years ago as I was looking at it and it's funny because everybody does it people say well this inward block this inward it's an inward block but if I put somebody's head in the way that then we're becoming inward hand forearm if I do an upward block and I reverse the motion into a elbow strike okay that becomes a, a, a downward vertical elbow strike and ultimately that's sequence rescripting you're taking that sequence or that basic move and you're changing what it means okay it's the same move it's the same action but you're changing the meaning of that action or the the principles that it uses or the principles that it applies to be effective does that make sense so that was a real in-depth look at everything that you're working on on this brand new system. So I know you said you've got one student now that's looking towards he's going to be going for brown here. You said in about a month or two-ish, if I remember correctly. Correct. Correct. So that means he'll be looking at black not that long after that, right? Correct. And PKI, Phasic Combatives Integrated, is housed under the PKKA, the Phasic Kempo Karate Association, correct? Alliance, correct. Alliance. There we go. My bad. Yes. Only because read that. only because it's only because it's me. Now, mind you, I have I have Ed Parker Campo as well, so I, I have these two systems that I'm teaching. Uh, and when my when my current I have another student that's currently studying uh, for his black belt. He's getting ready for black also in a couple months in the traditional Ed Parker Campo system. So as soon as he goes to black, and he's been chomping at the bit because he's been watching this other guy train in PKI. As soon as he goes to black in Kempo Karate, uh, the Ed Parker Kempo Karate, and I said that for Mr. Sullivan. Uh, <laughs> Call back. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 11 and, and 22 on season one. And so when he gets done with that, he's looking forward to going back and getting all of the basic combatives material. How that ties into the, the Kempo Karate Alliance is that uh, basically what I'm trying to do is build a foundation and I want to offer and honor anybody that's in the Ed Parker Kempo Karate or Facing Combatives into this organization so that we can eventually, we're going to be having camps. I will have uh, training materials. Um, I've assembled a board of regents uh, across the United States. I've got a West Coast, East Coast, Midwest representative and uh, they are going to start working on the material not just for facing combatives although they're not required to okay so under the pkka umbrella you've got both of these systems housed independently how much Correct. crossover is that so if you have a student studying one is it a completely different approach to it where they're going to have to restart over all over again or is it something they could lateral into no they no they can lateral into it it's ultimately ultimately it's about and and for the gentleman that uh is training is getting ready for his uh, Kempo, his Ed Parker Kempo black belt. He 
has done a lot of the drills, a lot of the FP drill, focus pad drills, and the and the stick stuff. And uh, so he has the universal stick sets. He's got uh, already got the ground set. He's get he's you know, and he's doing some training with these other guys. So it'll be a pretty easy lateral. He'll just have to excuse me, learn what the PKI names are, get the pick up the attributes and the mass attacks ultimately for him. Okay, so if somebody decided to come to you and say, hey, Mr. Durgan, I would like to start studying PKI. I'm already got some experience in Kempo, then they could transition relatively simply. Absolutely. Okay. And ultimately, they could keep their, their Parker uh, technique names if they wanted to and just uh, work on getting the, uh, the attributes and the mass attacks and stuff put together. Okay. I mean, obviously, 2020 was a train wreck for the entire planet, but... Moving forward, 2021 seems like things are starting to move forward, starting to open back up again. Where do you see things going for the remainder of 2021? Well, for 2021, for me, uh, the large goal for me right now is to finish this manual. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. I've got all of the stuff basically written out, but writing out attributes is difficult. Um, I want to solidify my my group, my board of regents for the alliance, and kind of really get a plan of attack together for helping people who want to come on board. Uh, you know, as as the martial arts world kind of picks itself back up off the ground and gets back on its feet, and then studios start to reopen or open for the first time i know we lost a lot of martial arts studios through the year 2020 it was a very difficult uh financial and just emotional uh year for everybody and you know some of the some of the restrictions just did not help with that at all uh there are some very few that are very fortunate to have been able to stay open or continue to operate whether they jumped on zoom soon enough or, uh, you know, we're able to do privates or, you know, however they did it. But so, <clears throat> so for me is, yeah, is to wrap up the, wrap up the PKI manual, really get some, uh, you know, some plans together, get some, some thoughts and ideas and, and organization together for doing some camps, doing some uh, fundraisers, uh, you know, and getting some group testing together, stuff like that. Okay. And just because I think it's fun to do that, if I carry that around or carry that out further, where do you see it in five years or 10 years? Five or 10 years, I'd love to have a large tournament with a camp uh, attached to it, um, either here in the Northwest or somewhere, somewhere else uh, and have some, you know, have some, uh, some great classes and seminars and stuff and, and see, uh, you know, what, transpires and transforms through the PKI through my students and see how, how, uh, you know, how, if it's, well, hopefully it's positive, um, you know, reaction and interaction in the rest of the martial arts world. Love it. So I do want to say thank you so much for coming on to the show. I know we played uh, basically tag since season one, trying to figure out when this is going to happen, but I wanted to take the moment here I know we dropped a couple of websites over the last, uh, you know, hour, two hour plus that we've been uh, chatting here, but I want to give you the, the plug your stuff moment. So if people want to get a hold of you or they want to, they're interested in buying the book, the posters, all of the above, whatnot, where do they go to find your stuff? How do they get a hold of you? Okay. So the book alone can be found on Amazon. 
Uh, it's either an ebook form or paperback. Uh, you can get it there or you can get it from me directly on my website at kenpoguy.com. Pretty straightforward. I have a Ken posters and product page. Now, on that page, you can get the also something we didn't talk about was a three dimensional universal pattern that I print because um, I have a 3D printer. So I actually got into 3D printing and started printing. Um, uh, I know Paul Casey on the uh, Hall of Fame uses it and has showed it a few times. Uh, you can pick that up in three different sizes or you can uh, you can pick up the book and posters set as a combo set. Uh, I have a PayPal thing there. If you want to get a hold of me, it's just legacykenpo at gmail.com. And uh, one more time, the websites that you have? It's kenpoguy.com. And on YouTube, it's actually Kenpo Guy Productions. There we go. He's had a ton of content up there on YouTube. I've uh, researched myself over the years. So I'm looking forward to getting some of the other stuff that I haven't seen yet. I've done, I've done now on the YouTube... I remember I told you earlier that I, I like to just talk about principles and concepts. I don't like to tell you how to do a technique. And one of the things that I've figured out about my editing program, which is really sweet, is some overlay work. So I've done some overlay work now with the levers and leverage introduction and with the universal pattern. So you actually can see how the universal pattern is applied with the with the pattern there and the motion tracing those lines. Nice. Yeah, that looks like a lot of fun. Okay, cool. So I want to say again, thank you. And as of the recording date today, we're in March of 2021. We are now at 39 countries that have heard our show around the world uh, over the last three years. So we just keep getting added to more platforms and keep getting uh, apparently more airtime in different countries and whatnot. But realistically, this is an internet based show. So unless the internet dies, this show is going to be around there forever. You know, people could hear this, right. you know, 50, 100, 200 years from now. Very cool. You know, interesting concept to think about that is like, that's a great, 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 you know, grandchildren or, you know, great, great, great grand students, you know, down the road, <laughs> right? What message do you want them to hear from Todd Durgan? Well, yeah. Um, I, th you know, I think that I, I, I'll be honest, the martial arts for me has been a lifesaver. And I mean that as uh, I did not grow up in the best place, the best time, and with the best people. And the martial arts has has, a, has given me a place to take my energy, sometimes my anger, uh, and and work things out. And if you're going to get into the martial arts, and even if you're just thinking about it, I, I just can't stress enough how important and how much value it will give you in your life throughout your life. Um, just the lessons that are there to be had. Not everybody gets those lessons, but there are so many lessons to be had that will help you through life, difficult situations, relationships, um, you know, at work, at school, at play. <clears throat> and, and if you're into it and you're just super serious about it, Remember that there's always more to learn. A full cup only spills over. An empty cup will take more. And so it's it's just, I mean, you know, I, I wake up every day and I look forward to the next thing I, I get to figure out, understand, or learn uh, in the martial arts. So, and I, I, I humbly thank you for this opportunity. 
And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I look forward to talking more with you in the future. I had a blast. Yeah, I, I absolutely love doing this show because I get to hear the stories that, you know, you're in Washington. I'm in California, both United States. But obviously, we have never been in the same place at the same time. So it's so cool Correct. to get to hear your story because it's like I, I've seen some of the work you've done. I've been a fan of your YouTube show for a while. And I get to now have the chat about more of the in-depth of what I've seen before. It's really cool. So Awesome. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, my friend. I can't thank you enough for uh, being willing to be on the show, man. I really, I'm really, i looking forward to getting this one edited and ready to rock. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, Episode 10 of Season 2 is in the books with 2018 Kempo Karate Hall of Fame inductee Mr. Todd Durgan. I didn't mention that during the show, but I can sneak it in now that he's not on the phone with me anymore. Can't believe we're already 10 episodes into Season 2. Season 1 is still available at all major podcast platforms, along with the previous episodes of Season 2. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating on whichever platform of choice you're listening on. We greatly appreciate the feedback, and it really helps us figure out what it is you want to hear. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Audible, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Alexa, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, Bullhorn, the podcast app, and of course, Podbean as well. Find us at www.artistofmotion.com. Our Facebook page is Artist of Motion. Twitter and Facebook at AOM Podcast. Email pod at artistofmotion.com. Drop us a line, give us some feedback, recommend a guest, etc. That takes care of the ad copy. I'm Steve Zalazowski. Catch you next time on the Artist of Motion Podcast.